Bad snap. Bobble. Oh, Scoops oh. up. Here come the Spartans. Touchdown, MSU. From WDBM East Lansing, you're listening to the Green and White Report, a production from Impact Sports. This is your source for sports news, debates, and more for Michigan State, Detroit, and the rest of the sports world. Good morning, East Lansing. Welcome into the Green and White Report on a Thanksgiving football pre-Sunday. I guess that's what we'll call this show. Luke Sloan, Henry Menegos here with you until 1 o'clock. Got a, a jam-packed show to talk about. Happy Sunday, by the way. No Trent this week, but a myriad of guests coming in. We have Cam McLaren. He's coming in to talk some MSU hockey at 11.45. Michael Marcotte, he's coming in at noon to talk a little bit of MSU women's hoops. But there is a lot of football to get to. But I'm joined by Henry. We are, uh, we're rocking and rolling on this uh, Sunday. I have my, rocking uh, and rolling. I've got my delicious uh, coffee. It's I've now ventured into the Christmas coffee. This is oh, a God. peppermint mocha, so... I know that I was very anti-Christmas before Thanksgiving on our last show with Trent here. Shout out Trent. But I've 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 broken I've broken I've broken the streak. I have the holiday cup and all. So what what did it for you? What 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 got you in the holiday spirit? Well, I I needed some coffee because I was running a little bit behind this morning. I didn't I wasn't able to make my own and it just the advertisement at this fine coffee establishment that I went to on the drive-through window, it just looked too good to pass up. I couldn't pass it up. You weren't. It's it, just let it be known here. We're in the beautiful Holden Hall, Impact 89 FM Studios, East Lansing, Michigan. It's 38 degrees on this gorgeous Sunday, and Henry is wearing shorts. So if if I had access to the the drop board, I'd hit a buzzer. But nah, no, no buzzer there. I mean, what's the deal here? Is it just uh, running a little bit low on laundry? You know, I was you know I've been wearing jeans last month or so, and I thought it's time to, time for a change. Yeah, I mean, you came in and you said it's a beautiful day, and I'm looking out the window right now, and it looks like it could snow. But well, yeah. to be perfectly honest with you, it was it was a comfortable, uh, a brisk morning. Felt good. Yeah. Well, to each their own. There's always. Uh, I'll I'll probably be seen in some shorts here come January. Once <laughs> once you have a busy week and you can't get to laundry, and pretty much out. pretty much anything is off the table. Well, there's uh, the inevitable for us to talk about this morning, and I would probably much rather start the show talking about my holiday coffee choice and Henry's choice of wearing shorts, and you know, pretty much anything. Maybe even like a book review. We can we can discuss War and Peace. But we're going to instead discuss Michigan State football's fifty-six to seven loss to Ohio State yesterday. Really demoralizing loss. I obviously they were nineteen, twenty, twenty-one point underdogs, just depending on what sports book you looked at. I personally had them covering that spread. I thought they weren't going to win the football game. I thought they were going to lose by you know, 15, 16, 17 points, which would have been a cover, but obviously they did not. 56 to 7 and unexpected considering obviously the the year that Michigan State's having, still 9 and 2, everything's still in front of them. Penn State this week, a New Year's 6 bowl is potentially in reach, but I mean, am I out of line to say that I expected better than than this? I don't think so at all. Well, I'm <sighs> I don't mean to be Mr. Doom and Gloom or whatever. I I love this team. This team has been, you know, beyond expectations all year. But this was just a horrible worst case scenario matchup. Not I I said this yesterday to one of my roommates. I really think that they would play Georgia closer than they would play Ohio State 
just because of the style of football that Ohio State plays. I think it's a great point. C.J. Stroud, like as expected in, from my stance anyways, just picked apart that secondary all day, had anything you wanted whenever you wanted it. And that, that's why I say it's just a nightmare scenario uh, with, with Michigan State's secondary. That I, I just think it's, it's the worst possible matchup. I like your point a lot about Michigan State matching up better against that Georgia team that obviously is incredibly run-heavy, which would probably favor the Spartans a little bit more considering, I mean, we've there's been a lot made on this show. You and I have talked about it. Trent has talked about it. You know, when we've had Brendan Shabbat, Nathan Stearns, other guest co-hosts come in, or football beat reporters, every, every week we're always talking about that bend-don't-break secondary, those cornerbacks really struggling, and Ben don't Ben don't break might be my new favorite my new least favorite sports term after what we've had to endure yeah. this year with Michigan State football. No more Ben don't break because I mean obviously Mel Tucker went out and and was pretty against Ben don't break after the Purdue game after the Michigan game. He said you know that's not what we're trying to be here. But early in the year, I feel like a lot of Spartan fans and people surrounding the program were like, ah, oh, you know Ben don't break whatever, and we kind of coasted along. And then, you know, when opponents like Ohio State come along and they put 56 points up and 655 yards of total offense, all of a sudden there's no opportunity to bend and then break if there's no bend in the first place, a la a four-play scoring drive or something. So No, it's it's like when you're in class and you have a project due at the end of the semester and you kind of just can continually don't do it and you're like oh it's everything's wow. fine look how great i'm doing everything's fine you right? might be reminding me of a couple of my yeah, classes well, right now perhaps. maybe at one o'clock luke someone's gonna be hitting the library yeah but no i'm just saying like it's like that thing that you just put off like oh we're, we're like we're, okay, like, we're fine we, we don't need to do anything but then you get to a game like michigan you get a game like purdue and all of a sudden that you know ben don't break isn't really working out for you anymore and then all the holes were punched into it when you go against ohio state who you weren't even ben don't breaking we couldn't even stay in front of the, the wideouts at all Second, the safeties were nowhere to be found on half of those plays. There was no bend. There was no bend. It was, it was just, just break. It, it was it was only break. No bend, all break, which is never what you want to talk about. Just there were some Ohio State players that put up just unbelievable numbers. I mean, you look at C.J. Stroud, who, unfortunately, considering that Kenneth Walker the third only got six carries for twenty five yards in this game. I think it's probably pretty safe to assume that C.J. Stroud has eclipsed him in the race for the Heisman, at least amongst players in the Big Ten. But he went 32 of 35 for, for 432 yards, most of which occurred in the first half. Six touchdowns, no interceptions. That's a 91% completion percentage and a passer rating of 251.7. That is, that's like video game numbers. It, this just, people just crack me up. Every year, every year, Ohio State will, you know, show some signs of weakness early in the year, and then every single year, once the once November comes around, that calendar flips. They're ready to roll. Yeah, it's true. And you're talking about CJ CJ Stroud eclipsing uh, Walker and the Heisman. I think that's completely fair, especially considering that he has a pretty marquee matchup against. Uh, what were they calling him all day during the brass or during the broadcast yesterday? The team up north, T U U N, or something like that. Yeah, T T U N team yeah, up north. Team up Ton. North. Can you Ton. believe that? I I don't know if I I don't know if they're trying to hype up that rivalry. Yeah, or not, but I have, I have a hard time believing that it's that staunch of a rivalry. I'm I'm not a fan of any. Like, just call the school what the name of the school is. Like Mel Tucker and Michigan State, they're guilty of this as well. Every all week, Michigan week, both years of Mel Tucker so far, it's been that team down the road or like that team down south. I 
just I don't know. That's one of my pet peeves. Call the team that you're call your opponent your opponent. I don't get it. I mean, you don't if get the it? Players, that's whiteboard material. If the players like it, then I guess I'm yeah. really not one to judge. Get but the juice going. Yeah, put it up on the whiteboard, Sloan. This was really a pretty kind of bizarre game for Kenneth Walker the third. I mean, I know that you and I were talking about this after Maryland and, you know, just discussions over the week as this being kind of that maybe final opportunity for Kenneth Walker the third really to put a stamp on his Heisman candidacy on the big stage. Like we mentioned just a few minutes ago, six carries, 25 yards, just four and a half yards a carry. Something was going on there. I'm not really sure what it was. We know that Mel Tucker is a guy that keeps his cards very close to his chest when it comes to injuries and giving his opponents information. You do have to speculate a little bit considering that Kenneth Walker the third came out against Maryland briefly, had an ankle wrap in the second half, took it off, came back, left the game again. I mean, obviously he didn't play in the second half because they're saving him for Penn State, and it was unbelievably out of reach at that point. But even in the first half, with his lack of carries, especially when the game got out of hand early, I understand that when they were down you know, 21 nothing after one quarter, you're not necessarily going to start running the football to get back into the game. But I don't know. I, I, I have a bad feeling that there was some injury concern there as well. But regardless of that, the game got out of hand way too quickly. They couldn't run the football. Maybe injury concerns. He didn't play in the second half. But just a really disappointing development from Kenneth Walker the third because we expected this to be another opportunity where he could put his stamp on this Heisman race in a close game. But he ends up with six carries, 25 yards, and and really the, the party has been spoiled because there's probably not a shot for him now. Yeah, and I, I agree. There definitely could have been some injury concern there, but but really, like you said, I mean, he never really had a chance to even be a factor in this game. They, they were down 14 zip before they even broke a sweat. So, I mean, it, was, it just wasn't a ton of opportunity for him to be a huge factor, I don't think, unless it was in the past game or something, but... Um, and, and then, like you said, obviously there was concern with the ankle and, and saving him for Penn State. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't see Penn State being the, the the Heisman moment that he needs or anything like that. Yeah. So, at this point, like you said, it, it seems like Stroud really has all the momentum going for him. And that's taking nothing away from Kenneth Walker the third. He had a, an unbelievable season that I don't think anybody in East Lansing or obviously nationally would have predicted it to happen. But kind of looking at this, you know, at, as a bigger picture – Obviously, looking at Twitter after the game, a lot of people said, you know, maybe people on the other side of the aisle, you know, our friends in maize and blue were talking about, wow, what a convenient time for that contract extension to be negotiated. And, oh, you know, they're going to announce that contract extension uh, was signed on Monday after they lost 56 to 7. But obviously, I think it's very immature and pretty soft to bring that up. I mean, Ohio State... I do have to admit that I would have liked to see the gap slimmed a little bit, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because this still is year two, and it's Ohio State who could win a national championship this year. But I think it's pretty safe to say that that gap that was there last year is about the same now, and that's why Tucker's got, you know, he's going to have another 10 years to get that slimmed down, so... Well, th- this is what Ohio State does, and this was this is what they've done for the past five, however long, you know, so... Uh, they they come in and they have their weird games at the beginning of the season and we think, oh, this might be the year. And Oregon then, loss. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, they play Nebraska close or whatever. But uh, at the, when it comes time to take care of business, they they roll. And they've done it every year. So, like you said, now he's signing a 10, was a 10-year, $95 million contract. He's uh, going to be the second highest yeah. paid head coach in the land 
of college football to Nick Saban, his, well, his mentor. So after a game like this, there's definitely a little bit of a damper on that excitement. Yeah. You can't deny that. They, maybe they should have uh, sped it up a little bit and yeah. dried the ink on that contract maybe before the game. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure his agent was pushing for that. But yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it changes anything with the contract, but I do think it changes maybe the excitement around the, the, the announcement I agree. or whatever. But like you said, you have 10 years, so now you're putting a lot of faith in this guy. You're putting all your eggs basically in this basket for 10 years that this isn't going to happen every year. You know, you got to start making this a game, and, and eventually when you're paying that kind of money, you're supposed to win this game. So that you're putting a lot of faith in a guy to, to really, I mean, what he's done in one year to turn a program around, but to really build a program as well that can take down an Ohio State and, you know, make a push for the playoff. It's going to be interesting to see – how Michigan State responds as a program to this loss. Because, you know, listening to Mel Tucker's thoughts after the game yesterday, listening to his post-game press conference, he said a phrase that sounded all so familiar after what we heard last season. And he said he was asked about the gap between Ohio State and Michigan State. He was asked about how the Spartans are planning on slimming that gap. And he said pretty much the first thing out of his mouth was that part of the, part of the way that this gap is slimmed is that is it's going to be in recruiting. He says mm-hmm. they the Spartans need more depth. They need obviously more talent to keep up with somebody like Ohio State, but it seems like pretty much after every pretty major loss they had last season it was recruiting, building the team up personnel-wise. He was able to go do that in one offseason to bring them up to a level where they can make a New Year's Six bowl cuz I I think they personally will go 10 and 2. I think they'll beat Penn State this upcoming Sunday and make something like the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl, but it's interesting the progression of this program. You have him last year say, we need to recruit, we need to get better, we need to improve the, this roster. They did in that offseason mainly because of the transfer portal, and they improved dramatically. Now taking that next step is going to be recruiting and building the team even more to get up to that Ohio State level. So I guess this is just, you know, I will call it sobering because obviously with that kind of money that Mel Tucker is going to have, national championships are going to be the expectation in East Lansing. I mean, you're not the second highest paid college football coach in America without that being the expectation. So to close that gap, they're going to have to recruit at a higher level and they're going to have, they're going to need more depth, especially looking at you cornerbacks. But yeah, the pressure is going to be on with, with that contract. And by no means am I, you know, somehow upset about this loss because once again, we need to kind of take a step back here and, remind ourselves that this is just year two of Mel Tucker and he's probably going to go 10 and two. So by all means, the the blood pressure is low, but with that kind of money and this kind of gap still present, it's going to be his job to slim that and get on Ohio State's level. I mean, it has to be with that kind of contract. Well, and, it, and even if it's not immediate, you, you would think that next year and the year after you're at least trending in the right direction. I mean, you can't take steps back when you're when you're under this kind of contract, I don't think. But it is interesting to think like, I mean, we're not. We're still playing a lot of D'Antonio's guys right now. We haven't seen necessarily Tucker's recruiting come into fruition yet. hundred I mean, percent. Obviously, he's been out um, flying around the country and, and and doing whatever, all that stuff. But um, so it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, what kind of guys he's actually getting and what kind of team he's gonna build. Because uh, we really, we really haven't seen that yet. Um, but I did like the I did like the the little quote I heard yesterday about Tucker intentionally styling this around a pro style offense to kind of attract a lot of those players to Michigan State. So, I mean, that'll be interesting to see if they, if that's actually a factor in, in helping them get, you know, some of those skill players that maybe otherwise would have meant a bigger, you know, more, stand, uh, what am I trying to say, grounded uh, programs. The Alabamas of the world, uh, yeah, perhaps. Exactly. I mean, a guy like Kenneth Walker III is a, 
he I mean he was recruited here and now he is part of the recruiting pitch to bring other people here. Absolutely. If you're Mel Tucker and you're talking to that Wisconsin transfer running back that was here at the Breslin Center for the home opener just last week against Western, you're saying, hey, we brought in a transfer running back this year and he was a Heisman candidate up until the final two weeks, a serious Heisman candidate up until mm-hmm. the final two weeks of the season. Nevertheless, don't want to get too down on this one. I would say overall, when the dust is settled, literally driving in here, I saw the the truck that said relentless on the side of it pull back into the football building. So everyone's back. It's Penn State week. We're all here. A 10 and 2 season is well within reach or a 9 and 3 season, which honestly is not doesn't sound that bad either. But nevertheless, the gap is the same. The gap will be slimmed, I believe due in large part to recruiting, but nevertheless, wrapping about a 56-7 to loss the day after. 517-884-8989 is the telephone number. You can text us using that number. What are your thoughts on this loss? Are you disappointed that Mel Tucker and the Spartans didn't slim the gap a little bit more in year two, or are you more like Henry and I, who are more content knowing that the long-term plan is there, and this is honest to God, an Ohio State team that could potentially win a national championship. 517-884-8989. Text us in using that number. You can also tweet the show using the hashtag GWReport, capital G, capital W, capital R. On the other side of the break, we're going to take a little bigger, deeper dive around college football. It was a pretty big college football Saturday, and like we said, it's Thanksgiving week. Last week of the college football season, bowl season is coming up, championship weekend is coming up, a lot to do and a lot more to come on the Green and White Report. Welcome back to the Green and White Reports on a, another football Sunday. Luke Sloan, Henry Menegos here with you until 1 o'clock. Talking about Michigan State football's 56-7 loss to Ohio State, obviously not the ideal scenario for the Spartans, and you could hear that in Mel Tucker's voice during the post-game press conference, but we believe that the gap has remained the same from Mel Tucker in year one to Mel Tucker in year two, and and it is both of our beliefs that that gap is going to continue to get slimmed as he gets more of his recruits in the program and and puts more of his stamp on Spartan football. 517-884-8989, that's the telephone number. You can also tweet us using the hashtag GWReport. We want to hear your thoughts on Michigan State's 56-7 to loss are you concerned that the gap wasn't slimmed a little bit more? And obviously, Henry and I, once again, our opinion is that there is extreme overreaction when it comes to, oh, no, don't give Mel Tucker that contract extension just yet. Everyone just take a deep breath in and just let it out. This team was terrible last year, and it's headed toward a 10-2 and season with a victory over Penn State this upcoming Sunday. But it was a big Saturday in college football, really in general, and I'm joined once again by Henry for a college football rush. All right, let's get right into it. So, rush question. After failing to score a game-tying touchdown with two minutes left, three timeouts and the ball on the Wisconsin 30, how embarrassing is Nebraska's 35-28 to loss to Wisconsin? You know, I've had this conversation with you and your roommates a couple of times about Scott Frost. And I'm a pretty staunch Scott Frost defender just because it seems like in every big game they've gotten up but still managed to lose. So I've said, hey, Scott Frost, he deserves one more year in Lincoln because he played. He could have beat Michigan State here if it wasn't for a Chester Kimbrough interception and a Kenneth Walker the third game-winning touchdown in overtime. Michigan had to win on a Jake Moody last-second field goal. They had Ohio State going down to the wire. And then this Wisconsin game, they had the Badgers on the ropes. But come on. 
two minutes left in that game, three timeouts. The ball is on Wisconsin's 30-yard line with Adrian Martinez at quarterback. Did you watch the end of that game? I, I didn't see the end. Oh, I watched my, all the game was, and missed the end. It was the but, it was a clinic. I'm telling you, a clinic in how you do not finish a football game. They had, like I said, three timeouts on the 30-yard line. They could have ran the football, but they started throwing bombs through the back of the end zone. They picked up a holding penalty. I think they got a pass interference on them, but they, they picked up another holding penalty. They were taking their sweet time. And then in the final moments, they just had to chuck up bombs to the back of the end zone. Complete clock mismanagement. Complete mismanagement of use of timeouts. I'm a big Scott Frost defender. I don't know necessarily if you are, Henry, but that was embarrassing. Nebraska is officially, in my opinion, the... Basketball school. No, no, no. They, let me, let, hear this. The Detroit Lions of the college football world. Wow. I mean, let me tell you some... Like, it's me, a good thing Trent's not here. Well, uh, <laughs> and I mean this is no listening. disrespect. I mean this is no disrespect, but just... I mean, think back at all the games that the Lions have been in. They're a game to win against good football teams. Wow, you're spot on. I mean, Baltimore I mean, let me, Ravens. Let, let me read you the some Pittsburgh of these scores. Steelers. Let me read some. Let me read you some of these scores. Way back in September, Nebraska loses to now number twelve Oklahoma by a touchdown. Right next week, they come close to, game. to Michigan State. They lose by a a, uh, a field goal. Another close game. That was a game that Michigan State could have dropped. They weren't necessarily the better football team that. No, day. that was that was a game Michigan State easily could have lost. Then they go down and they lose by three points to Nebraska, or excuse me, to Michigan, as you already said. Last second field goal. Yeah, they, and and they they do the drop one to Minnesota again by a touchdown. But still then they, a quality Minnesota team. Then they play Purdue tight. Then a they play Purdue team. Then they fall in Columbus tight. And now again, like you said, this is their game to lose, and they they lose to Wisconsin. I mean, they've been in every one of these football games against really a pretty good uh, a schedule. They had a pretty tough yeah. schedule. They, their crossover games. I mean, come on now. When you're in the the Big Ten West and you have to play Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State in the same season, that's a tall order. And, and now they go to oh, Iowa next week, another tough number Not 18 ranked off. Iowa team. So, I mean, it's actually, I don't know how much credit you give them for being in these games. And I agree. At, in the case with the Michigan State and Wisconsin game, actually controlling those games and, and really making it their game to lose. I don't know how much credit you give them for that, but... I mean, you got to recognize at least the fact they're not getting blown out by these teams. I completely agree. I in the in the short term, I really scratch my head at that Wisconsin loss because that's a game that they should have at least tied up and, and gone into overtime with the Badgers during. But generally, I, I give Scott Frost the benefit of the doubt. I think he deserves another season because he's been in in every one of these games and they've been ready to play. But if I'm his athletic director at Nebraska, I say, listen, Scott. You're you're coming back on one condition. You got to close out enough of these games next year to make a bowl, win seven, eight games. I think that's got to be the, the the consolation. Well, there there probably is some you know emphasis need to be placed on closing out the games. Yes. But I mean, because you can't. But you do got to recognize the fact that they're they're playing with an Ohio State and they're playing with a you know Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan, Michigan State, Michigan State yeah, Oklahoma. Tough. I mean, they're playing with all these teams, so there's some Wisconsin. recognition there. But yeah, I mean, I, at some point you got to close one of those out. I completely agree. Rush question with Maryland and head coach Mike Loxley staring down a 5-6 and six record headed into the final week of the regular season. Are we buying that he will have long-term success in College Park? This isn't the, the buy-or-sell segment, but I am selling that Mike Loxley is going to have long-term success in College Park. He can bring in all the talent he wants, and he's beaten out 
various SEC teams for recruits. He, he brought in Tua Tagovailoa's little brother, who I, I don't know if I can pronounce his last name, Taulia, Tauli from South Park, something. Whatever his, whatever his first name is. He's brought in plenty of talent. But, w- but when it comes down to coaching football games, I don't know if Dan Enos, as your offensive coordinator, is going to get it done in the Big Ten East. He can bring in all the talent he wants, and his talent will lead him to near 500 records like what they are this year. But in terms of X's and O's and actually coaching football, I mean, you remember that that Michigan State-Maryland game. They had over they had like 115 yards in penalties at Spartan Stadium. It's just unacceptable. As my roommate Nick always says, you could fold up Rutgers and Maryland into one program and they still wouldn't compete in the Big Ten. Amen so, to that. Yeah, so I, I don't think... He's in San Diego right now as well. He is. So yeah. I don't know if he's awake. Maybe. Hopefully. Big fan of the show. Yeah, he's sleeping. Ah, dang it. He's sleeping in Michigan at this time. Oh, no. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Rush question. Has Notre Dame all of a sudden snuck back into the college football playoff picture? Honestly, by default, they kind of have. Because you have Oregon now with two losses. They're out of the picture. Cincinnati probably has to jump back in the picture now with an undefeated record. Obviously, you have the Michigan-Ohio State showdown this upcoming Saturday. The loser of that game is going to be bounced from the playoff as a two-loss team. So at this point, you have... One loss, Georgia. You have undefeated Georgia. One loss, Alabama. Undefeated Cincinnati, and then you have Notre Dame, who's got one loss. Michigan, I guess, is still in the mix. Oh, even someone like Oklahoma State's got one loss. By default, Notre Dame has all of a sudden gotten themselves back into this. But wouldn't it be an all-time snub if they put the Irish in with one loss over an undefeated Cincinnati team? Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, they might. They may theoretically be in the picture now, but. Um, with that head-to-head loss to Cincinnati, it's kind of There's no hard. way they can put the I don't think you could put Irish in. You're not going to put both of them in. There's no, no way, way that happens. Yeah. I will say, I mean, Notre Dame has some quality wins at the beginning of the season. Since then, their schedule has been a cakewalk. But I, they may have more quality wins than Cincinnati. The only difference being they lost in that head-to-head. So I, but I think I still, you still give it to an undefeated Cincinnati team over Notre Dame. Think about everything that's bounced right for the Bearcats in the last two weeks. You have Oregon going down. You have Oklahoma going down. Everything's kind of bouncing their way for them to make the playoffs. So it's going to be very hard for the committee to keep them out this year. It has to be. Rush question, does Michigan have any shot of beating Ohio State next Saturday in Ann Arbor? I think they really have virtually none. I, I, you know, I called this shot after the Michigan State game, and it's not just because our Spartans played the Buckeyes. I have Ohio State winning a national championship this year over Georgia. I and and I everyone knows on this radio program my opinions on Georgia and my lack of trust in Kirby Smart. I don't think that there's a bigger Kirby Smart hater out there than me. I don't think there is. I I think Michigan has no shot. I don't think anybody has any shot. I think the Buckeyes could damn well go win this this entire thing. Well, in regards to your comment about Georgia, I think Ohio State does stack up well against Georgia. And I agree. Head-to-head That's matchup. back to your point about yeah, just about the, Ohio State's air game, the, st- the air game, the style of play, and their defense has gotten a lot better. I think and substantially. Georgia's Georgia's offense is nothing to you know be too worried about. So, in ter- now in terms of the Michigan game, I don't think Michigan wins this game. I don't think it's even a close game. But I do think they stack up better than. Michigan State does against this team. I completely agree. Michigan's pass defense has been pretty improved this year. Nowhere near perfect. Hell of a lot better than this team up here's. But the, there is a path to victory for Michigan. The question will be if they can execute it, and that is 
three, four yards in a cloud of dust. If they can manage to control the clock and control the game and keep Ohio State's defense on the field for long periods of time, and more importantly, C.J. Stroud and that Ohio State offense off the field, there's a path to victory. But, I mean, this is an Ohio State team that's locked and loaded. Well, I like what you said because I think I think the way you beat this team is to slow down that passing attack. You, ha- you have to. Michigan State yesterday was three and out, three right. and out. Three and out. Stroud and his receivers got into an unbelievable rhythm. You got to keep them on the sideline in that cold weather and just hope they wear down. Well, I mean, Michigan State maybe screwed up by not taking the ball first. I mean, you, 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 what you do is when you get the ball, I think against this team is you have to chew up some clock, like you said, and you can't, you can't get yourself in a hole right away to start because then you're forced to throw the ball. Really, the problem wasn't throwing the ball yesterday. Peyton Thorne had all kinds of time in the pocket. McNamara with that offensive line is going to have all kinds of time in the pocket. It's really, like you said, about getting the run game going and, and chewing up some clock. So you can't start in a hole. You have to slow down that passing attack on the defensive side of the ball. And then maybe you can chew up some clock, kind of control the pace of the play. And then maybe you're all of a sudden not getting blown up by 56 points or you know, 49, whatever it was. They'll have to pull a couple of rabbits out of their hats. The entire key to this game for, for, for Ohio State could be their offensive line. If Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo managed to not get home against C.J. Stroud, I think they're going to have a pretty long day. I think I think if they protect Stroud, they're going to be in pretty decent shape. But like you said, and, and kind of playing on our point of Michigan controlling the clock, there's a path to victory for them. And even though I don't think Michigan's going to win this football game, I think they're an improved football team, and I give Jim Harbaugh credit for what he's done because last year was a complete disaster. Well, I guess to go back to the question, is there really a path to victory? Do you see a path to victory, or do you see a path to not to it not being a blowout? That's a very good point. We see a game plan, but do we see a path to victory? And to answer that question, I see no path to victory. I don't. See I see a game plan. Though. Unless you count a victory playing a tight game they they could lose by two touchdowns or something like that I don't I you know I mean I, I don't think I agree I don't think they win this game but a victory in a sense especially after your rival who beat you early in the season just yeah. got blown out a victory would be going playing this game tight and there is that path I I, I don't believe in moral victories not at all but if you were to tell me that they lose to Ohio State by 10 points and go to the Rose Bowl this season even though they lost to Michigan State earlier this season and it would be, once again, two losses to their rivals, that's probably good enough to, to boost Jim Harbaugh's stock at least a little. Rush question, are we concerned about Alabama's college football playoff chances after the Tide faltered against Arkansas on Saturday? They have a date with Georgia in the SEC championship game coming up. Well, that this is where things get interesting. If Georgia were to knock Alabama off in the SEC title game, there is zero chance they could, the, the college football playoff committee can put a two-loss Alabama team in, I think. And, but then that would all of a sudden open up a scenario where you have undefeated Georgia, you have well, one-loss Notre Dame, you have an undefeated Cincinnati team, you have potentially Ohio State. That would really open the door for Notre Dame. But I have a sneaking feeling that this is going to be a Nick Saban special and they beat the Bulldogs in the SEC championship game and they both make the playoff. But... I mean, is is it a given that Alabama is not going to make the field if they lose to Georgia? I think it is. It I think has to you, be. I think if you drop to Georgia, you, they're out. I think it has to be too. Now, like you said, whether or not Nick Saban kind of does what he does and pulls off that win late in the season, that's kind of up in the air. It, it's an interesting dynamic, you know. And, and and then it brings up a lot of good points with who makes it for between Cincinnati or Notre Dame, you know. So it's if you if you want chaos, you root for Georgia to win that football game. Yeah, that's going to be a wide-open football playoff. But, and in, in, in actually, I think that would kind of go against a lot of people's 
argument. So a lot of people argument for the expanding the college bowl playoff. If, if Alabama loses and they're out of the playoff, and you start bringing in Notre Dame and Cincinnati, and who you know, that, I guess Ohio State would be the fourth team, but that kind of like goes against the argument to expand because then you're losing in Alabama. Yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree. Rush question. The Egg Bowl is coming up on Thanksgiving week. How much how much do we love the Ole Miss-Mississippi State rivalry? I love the Egg Bowl. The Egg Bowl is one of my Thanksgiving week traditions every single year. It's complete chaos. The fans are just going bonkers, and you have moments that are made into memes, like you know certain players doing certain things to celebrate touchdowns if you're a college football fan. I love the Egg Bowl. It, and think about it. Lane Kiffin against Mike Leach. Two just, to quote Joe Dandron, just two unbelievable cats. And you have two offenses that are explosive. This year's Egg Bowl is going to be unbelievable. It's on my bucket list to attend an Egg Bowl in Mississippi. I love the Egg Bowl. Well, I'm not even going to try and follow it up, Sloan. Your love for the Egg Bowl just permeates. So I love the Egg Bowl. We'll leave it at that. Happy it's, Thanksgiving. It's, we're getting to bowl season, man. This is great. I love it. Right? This is the best time of year. College basketball, NBA, football, NFL. We're rocking and rolling. Rush question, is there a path to the college football playoff for Oklahoma State? Believe it or not, there probably is. If they manage to win out, win the Big 12, and they're a 12-1 a and one Big 10, or if they're, if they're a 12-1 and one Big 12 champion, especially considering if Alabama were to go down and lose to Georgia in the SEC title game, then Oklahoma State, with one loss, would get in the mix with a one-loss Notre Dame team. They'd get in the mix with an undefeated potentially Cincinnati team. you got to put Ohio State in there. A lot is hinging on that Alabama-Georgia game. Obviously, if Alabama were to win that football game, I don't think there's any path to the playoff for Oklahoma State, even if they were a one-loss conference champion. Maybe you can put them in over Cincinnati, but if there's anything we've talked about in the last 10-15 minutes of this college football segment is that there could be complete chaos, and the playoff is going to be... It's going to be, I mean, what what's going to be more interesting, the actual playoff or who gets in over the next two weeks? This is kind of a wide open end of the season, which is a little bit unusual, I think. That could be, a, that could be an argument to, like you said, that's building into that argument to keep the playoff at four teams. Right, exactly. If, if that's the next saying. two weeks are highly entertaining, where's the incentive? Like you exactly. said, I think you said this on last week's show, every game is like a playoff game. Georgia-Alabama in the SEC title game is a playoff game for the Tide because if they lose that game, they're probably gone. Something like the Big 12 championship game is a championship game for someone like Oklahoma State. Notre Dame's got to win out. I I agree with your point about that. For the the folks who prefer expansion, they don't like what's going on right now. No, I I would agree. This is an exciting end of the season. And also... We're kind of lo- like we're kind of losing those big like perennial football programs that are typically there. And we're talking Clemson's about already gone. We're we're talking about a Cincinnati team, an Oklahoma State team, a Notre Dame team, like things like that. Like we're already kind of starting to scrape a little bit of like you know, Wake Forest was in the conversation for a second there. Yeah, like think about it. Oklahoma got washed. Yeah, Oregon uh, got washed. Exactly. We're not we're not like so we're kind of starting to scrape a little bit of the 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 outside of the bowl here about what we're we're usually talking about. So I'm not sure this is the best case for anybody who's looking for an expanded playoff. With that being said, Oklahoma State, with the right losses, maybe kind of starts to make that case. I'm I not, agree. I'm not sure that they're there right now. I agree. I don't think they have a good enough win. I mean, Oklahoma's going to be a good win if they get that next week. Uh, I mean, they got a good win against Texas, but I mean, our Baylor, about, these these games aren't, aren't holding as much weight as they did in the beginning of the season. So I I'm, I'm not sure if they have the resume to necessarily say that they deserve to be there. 
But with the right losses and the way this this Wild West is happening, you know they, they could they could find themselves with that opportunity. A conversation will be had. Last one, rush question: What are our thoughts on Oregon's loss to Utah, knocking them out of the college football playoff running? Really, there's not much to say. Utah thoroughly beat them in that game. I I was I settled in for that game, expecting it to be the the crown jewel of my college football Saturday yesterday. And what we got was a giant stinker. We got a fake jewel, like something you'd buy it at you know Disney World or something. I don't know. Nevertheless, Oregon is, is is now out. Utah has got a legitimate shot to win the Pac-12 when these two teams match up again in a couple of weeks here. And Utah could be looking at a potential matchup with Michigan in the Rose Bowl. But I think the bottom line here, and I think you agree with me, is that Oregon, no path for them now with two losses. None. Yeah, that's really the only thing you can take away from this. That was, like you said, it was supposed to be the big game of the week that last night, you know, a huge matchup. It was and- supposed to be... I was dialed in for it. I was yeah. ready to roll. Yeah, and I, I think I think there's really nothing else to be said. That just kind of that really eliminates their their chances. Their resume is not good enough. Though. They have one quality win, really, uh, and other than that, nothing really else to show for it. So, I th- yeah, that's that's the end of the story. They're 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 out of the playoff. Five one seven eight eight four eight nine eight nine. Once again, is the telephone number. Talking about your thoughts on Michigan State's fifty six to seven loss to Ohio State yesterday, and the gap between the Spartans and the Buckeyes. Are you concerned? The question is the following. Are you concerned that the gap is kind of the same or perhaps increased? Henry and I, our opinions are that we are not because it is once again just year two for Mel Tucker. On the other side of the break, five, six, seven minutes of some quick thoughts on the Pistons and Lions and maybe even a quick Detroit Tigers thought. A couple of minutes on a couple of Detroit sports topics and then coming up at 11.48, Cam McLaren is going to join us live in studio. A four-game winning streak for Michigan State Hockey. We're going to have it all here. Cam is going to be here to break it down. Four straight wins over Ferris State and then Wisconsin. So Cam's going to be here at 1148, but before then, a couple of quick Detroit sports thoughts after the break. You used to call me on my cell phone. To quote the great Trent Bally, we are absolutely ready to roll on a Sunday morning here on the Green and White Report. A lot coming up. Obviously, right now, 19 in front of the hour. We have Cam McLaren joining us in studio in about eight minutes for some Michigan State hockey. The Spartans are on an absolute roll right now. Back-to-back sweeps over Ferris State and then Wisconsin at Munn this past weekend. We also have Michael Markoch. He's going to join us at noon to talk a little bit about the undefeated Michigan State University women's basketball team as well. So even though the Spartans were not victorious on the gridiron in Columbus yesterday, there's plenty of other programs around here that deserve some recognition. But before we get into some more Michigan State stuff, just wanted to do a couple of quick things on some Detroit sports thoughts. One thought on the Lions, Pistons, and Detroit Tigers. We'll start with the my beloved Detroit Tigers. Obviously, The offseason is off to a productive start and a start that a lot of Detroit sports fans and Tigers fans are pretty happy to see. You open the offseason the day after the World Series by going out and acquiring Cincinnati Reds catcher Tucker Barnhart, who is a two-time Gold Glove winner. He's got a rocket of an arm behind the plate. He is an outstanding game caller, and he is an average hitter at the big league level. Catcher was perhaps the number one position of need for this Tigers team after Jake Rogers went down due to Tommy John's surgery last year. They went out and checked that off their list right away, literally on the first day of the offseason. That is something I was very pleased with. I loved the Tucker Barnhart acquisition, especially considering they gave up Nick Quintana, who is a faltering prospect. And then you have a couple of weeks later, another 
thing on their Christmas wish list, perhaps, that has taken off, and that would be the signing of left-handed starting pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez from the Boston Red Sox. He finished sixth in Cy Young voting in 2019. He's a hard-throwing lefty. He's got good off-speed stuff, a good cutter, a good slider. And you got to figure with Chris Fetter in Detroit, he's going to grow even more. He's on the right side of 30 as well. An affordable five-year contract with an opt-out after two years. That checked off another item on their Christmas shopping list. You got catcher. Put a little check on there. You got an established starting pitcher to go behind Casey Mize, Matt Manning, and Tarek Skubu. You put a little check on there. Now everyone's eyes are turning toward perhaps, in my opinion, the biggest hole on this Detroit Tigers team, and that would be at shortstop. And this is where my tone changes a little bit. You saw this past week a report from John Heyman, an MLB insider. Obviously, there was the, the, the sit-down lunch between A.J. Hinch and Carlos Correa that really made the rounds on Twitter this past week. They had a three-hour lunch in Houston. So those Carlos Correa rumors are starting to swirl and swirl and swirl. You have insiders and fans and Twitter, and everyone's just projecting him to go to Detroit. But then John Heyman pops out a little tweet last week on Thursday that said the Detroit Tigers are hesitant to pay Carlos Correa $300 million, which is what he prefers. I remind you that Christopher Illich Holdings is, they are one of the, he's one of the wealthier owners in baseball. The Tigers are in a position where they're ready to spend. The Miguel Cabrera contract is coming off the books in a couple of seasons. This is a Tigers team that is going to be ready to roll, once again, to quote Trent Bally, when it comes to spending money. So why you want to be cheap when it comes to this Carlos Correa contract is really quite baffling. That's my thoughts on the Tigers. They've done a great job so far. Tucker Barnhart was a great acquisition. Eduardo Rodriguez was a great signing. But they have to continue the momentum, and they have to go and deliver Carlos Correa. Simply put it, I don't want any other shortstop. I want Carlos Correa. A couple of other quick thoughts. This is a Lions thought. We're not going to get too much into the Lions on this show, really, because there's nothing really to talk about. What Do we want to break down Jared's Goff? Jared Goff's performance against Pittsburgh? I don't really think so. You know, Jamal Williams is coming back. I guess that's a positive. But I'll, I'll focus on Dan Campbell, talking with Trent a little bit about this as well. Dan Campbell taking over the the offensive play calling duties for the Lions this past week against Pittsburgh, which was a disaster. I was not a fan of that and not even close. Dan Campbell, former tight ends coach with the Dolphins and and New Orleans Saints, has no experience calling plays. I don't even know if he's got a playbook. I don't want to insult the man, but why he took the, the play sheet and took the headset off of Anthony Lynn and just unilaterally decided to start calling plays was really Really head-scratching. I didn't know what was going on on TV when I flipped the game on. All of a sudden, I see Dan Campbell with this massive play sheet, and I think, what's he doing? Is he just studying the playbook a little bit more? And then the the Fox TV broadcast came on with, oh, Dan Campbell. You know, he was working with, uh, he was getting, he's, he's in the quarterback's ears. He's in Jared Goff's ears. And Anthony Lynn should be PO'd. If I was Anthony Lynn, I'd be PO'd. He could be potentially on his way out of here after this season. Depending on how he reacts to that, I wouldn't want to be an offensive coordinator that didn't call plays, especially when my head coach had no history of calling plays. So really just head scratching. I think it, it's it's a move. It was a move that reeked of desperation. We'll see if the Lions are, 
are going to continue with that and have Coach Campbell call plays against the Cleveland Browns here in about an hour. No Jared Goff at quarterback. That's going to be Tim Boyle. And a sneak peek for, for the NFL picks. I don't usually do this, but I've been corrupted this season. The Lions are not going to beat the Cleveland Browns today, and I don't think it's even going to be close. So we'll, more on that later. So little faith, Sloan. I, I, I'm, I'm done. I, 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 this, is, this has been a season that's tested us in, in unbelievable ways. But, you know, this is perfect. because fi- I wanted your thoughts on my final, because I know you're an NBA guy. You love the NBA. My final thought before we get to Cam McLaren in just a couple minutes is on the Detroit Pistons. And as you know, there have been quite a bit of rumors going around about one Ben Simmons. Oh, yes, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is rumored to perhaps be traded to the Detroit Pistons for a first-round pick, Kelly Olynyk, Sadiq Bey, and Jeremy Grant. And what I have to say to that simply is just no. Don't do that. Don't do that, Pistons. Yeah, I, I would not be, as a non-Pistons fan, can I say but that? But a, a basketball fan. Is, is that how you say that? A non-Pistons fan? A non-non-Piston. I'm a, I'm a non-Piston. Anyways. They can't do that. You no, figure. I don't know what team in the, in the country would make that trade. I don't want to bring in a guy who, number one, he can't shoot the ball. And number one, he chooses not to shoot the basketball. Terrible. I might be a better three-point shooter than him. So let me ask you this question, Sloan. What, what free agent acquisition, or maybe not a free agent, what, what acquisition do you think this team needs? What's the piece that this team is missing? Miles Bridges, free agent acquisition this offseason. Bridges! Bridges. Bring him home. Troy Weaver, if you're listening out there right now, bring him home. He's the best rapper in the NBA as well. Just, I want to give wow. that a quick plug. Fantastic. Better than Damian Lillard? In my humble opinion, yes. LeBron thinks he's the there best was. rapper in the NBA, I believe. But nevertheless, Ben Simmons, please God no. To quote the great Michael Scott, please God no. Don't, that would be a disaster. I, I can't even imagine what what kind of awful things he would rub off on Cade Cunningham. But nevertheless, that was kind of our trifecta of Detroit sports topics, all of which I was angry about. I was angry about the Tigers being cheap. I was angry about the Lions and Dan Campbell calling, giving him the play-calling duties, and I was angry about the Pistons rumored to be interested in Ben Simmons. Got me in a terrible mood. Hey, nevertheless, though, we'll, we'll be in a good mood here in just a moment because Michigan State hockey is on a roll. They've won four straight games. Two over Ferris. No, there's. I I was crying about baseball, which did I? I think I broke the rules of the show. I was I was a little late to the drop there, but I was looking no for worries, it. No worries, no worries. There's a that drop board is like a menu at a, at a fast food restaurant. There's so many. There's so much stuff on there. It's it's hard to pick out stuff. It's, it's like if you go to McDonald's, do I get the McNuggets? Do I get the hamburger? That's the drop board. But we're gonna we're gonna get happy here now. We're gonna take a break. I, I actually, I got some. I got some feedback coming all the way from Brooksmith, Texas. Wow, and it's it's really simple. It's just Texas. A, it's a simple text, and all we got is Simmons to Detroit? Question mark. Disgusting. It is disgusting. Disgusting. I thank you, Texas. Thank you, Texas. We, we we're gonna be joined by a Texan here in just a moment. That's wow. Cam McLaren. That's, a, that's an unbelievable segue. The Dallas area native. So from one Texan to another, I agree with you, Texter. Five one seven eight eight four eight nine eight nine. By the way, please God know Ben Simmons. But I digress. On the other side, Cam McLaren coming up live in studio. MSU hockey four game winning streak ready to roll.
Welcome back to the Green and White Report. Pleased to be joined live in studio by Michigan State hockey beat reporter Cam McLaren for WDBM. And Cam, really, there's there's no other place to start. Actually, I will say one thing quickly. We had a conversation during the last break, and you know, this is interesting as well, you know, with with our conversation with Henry. We were talking you and I were debating quickly about what a one-loss Notre Dame team would look like potentially making the playoff versus a one-loss conference champion Oklahoma State team. And both you and I agreed that we probably would have to put the pokes in over Notre Dame. Yeah, but Welcome, f- by the way. Yes, thank you for having me. But for that to happen, you actually have to have Cincinnati lose. Yes. That, that's, that's, the, that's the plug of if you really want carnage, you have either Alabama win the SEC championship game and then you could also have Cincinnati losing the American Conference, and then you just have absolute just mayhem for the for the college football playoff. Because, in my opinion, yes, Ohio State will still get in. Oregon is fraudulent. I'm sorry to say that, but Oregon Completely Oregon's agree. gone. They're done. Um, I don't see. I can see an argument for two Big Ten teams, but if Michigan loses to Ohio State, they're gone. So two th- losses, they'll be ejected out. There could be a chance for a long shot pokes team. That I really Mike wish Gundy. I really wish they would have lost to Baylor because my brother goes to Baylor now. So I, I, I like I've, I've been a I've been a Sikkim fan whenever uh, Michigan State's not doing super well, which has been twice this year. True. So yeah, I mean, there's an argument for Oklahoma State and the Pokes to get in. So I want to talk about this 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 Michigan State hockey team now sitting at eight five and one on the season, even at three and three in conference, a four game winning streak. They had a home road series against the Ferris State Bulldogs two weeks ago. They won in East Lansing on Thursday, and they, they had an incredible comeback and beat Ferris State on the Saturday the series finale. And then this past week against Wisconsin, they were up 2 nothing. They gave up two goals, and they won 5-2. to that, that, was after, that was on Saturday after winning on Friday. So nevertheless, it's two sweeps in a row, and it's, it's a four-game winning streak. And, you know, I, we asked, Trent and I asked you this last week, so I don't want to beat a dead horse or anything, but... As this team continues to kind of creep along, do you see enough improvement to make you think that they could actually compete for something in the Big Ten this year? And by something, I don't necessarily mean a title, but I'll say upper echelon. So the one thing that I have I have gotten through the past two weeks of not really knowing how to, what to make of all these teams is every team is beatable. Because Michigan State beats Ohio State to open conference play. They lose the next night. Ohio State's been on a tear recently. And they're a joint second with a 4-2 and two conference record after beating a few good teams. Notre Dame as well has just come out of nowhere, shot out of a cannon, and just swept Michigan at Yost for two nights in a row uh, this past weekend. And then it's just, it's anybody is beatable right now. And the fact of the matter that Michigan State is able to dust a Wisconsin team that, yes, they lost their top four scorers from last year. But to be able to kind of flip the script on Wisconsin after beating them handedly in 2019 to 20, getting swept in all four games last season, and then to now, you know, going two games in a row over a very, a still very good team is it, I would say there's improvement and it's coming from the transfer portal, which is something that a lot of people on the Michigan State football beat have talked about is how Mel Tucker was able to use the, the transfer portal to get a bunch of guys in. But for Michigan State, it's proven to be a lot more than just, you know, a few guys making a few plays. It's guys taking on roles and scoring a lot of goals, and none other than Jeremy Davidson, who came in 
and is I'm pretty sure joint or his team lead in goals and he had three over the past over the weekend including two last night so it's it's a it's a night and day difference with this team I wanted to talk about what you think is the main reason why the Spartans are improving this year. And for anybody who isn't following the team as much, you know, you have Drew DeRitter. His goals against averages is sterling 1.87 this season. And looking at some of the skaters, Mitchell Lewandowski leads the Spartan team with 13 points. He's got five goals, the second most on the team to, like you said, Jeremy Davidson, who has seven goals. But there's a lot of contributors up and down this Michigan State lineup. You have someone like Eric Mittendorf, who has his five goals this season. Dennis Sasana, who is just kind of cruising along, he's got three goals. Josh Nodler, he's got three goals. He's third on the team with 10 points. Are there some individual players, it could be DeRitter or any of these skaters, who you're really keying in on as like core reasons why this Michigan State team has made those remarkable improvements? I mean, the you can basically separate this team into three groups. You have the transfers, the newcomers, and then the old guard. Mitchell and, and Lewandowski. Mitchell, He's been around for forever. And in this case, the old guard, you have Lewandowski, the Krieger brothers, and Sasana. You're getting point production from all of them. The transfers, you're getting point production from all of them and some scrappy play from Griffin Lochran, who, yeah, he, he, he that was, if you, if you get a chance to watch the last, I want to say five minutes of that game last night, um, yeah, some, some things happened, a little kerfuffle ensued and a five foot six Griffin Lochran body slammed a guy onto an, onto the ice, which was hilarious in my opinion. Is he the Tyler Johnson of, of, uh, Big Ten hockey? I mean, probably. <laughs> I think Tyler Johnson's got three inches on him. I think he's more like five, nine, but I digress. Yeah. And then you talk about, then you have the newcomers and the biggest one, in my opinion, that has, has made the most kind of improvement for this team overall is Jesse Tucker, who got his first goal as a Spartan last night, and he's been much overdue for that. Another guy that doesn't get a lot of love, uh, Christoph Papp. He has yet to get that goal-scoring mark. Even the same thing last year, he went scoreless, but he's still one of those players that you need him to win face-offs, you need him to get ozone time, and that's what he's doing. But for me, Jesse Tucker, I've been harping on this kid the entire year. He's he. He's very good at what he does on the ice, and that's the reason why Danton Cole keeps playing him. He led Green Bay. He was their all-time leading assist leader um, in juniors, and he comes here, and he's got a lot of assists, and now he's got the one goal to his name, but it's just his style of play. He, he's smart for his age. I mean, he's he's 21. He's, he's nine months older than me, but he comes in as a freshman. He's got a lot of maturity and a lot of skill, and it's it's something that the Spartan team really needed with the loss of a lot of seniors last year. If you had to pick one of these transfer player portals that pork transfer player portals, what did I just say? If you had to pick one, let's flip it around. If you had to pick one of these transfer portal players, there we go. One of the transfers that Danton Cole brought in. If you had to pick one of them who's been the most impactful of the group, who's that player that stands out in your mind? Oh God, this is a tough question. Just because all like all three of them are very good, but for me, I would the most impactful. It's actually not going to be the leading goal scorer. It's not going to be Davidson. It's actually Middendorf because four out of his five goals have been game winners. So he and he's on that line with him, Lochran, and Nodler on the top line, and that's just if you look at statistics and you're a team that doesn't score a lot of goals, <clears throat> Wisconsin, Uh-oh. you you are. You are not having a very fun time, and they did not have a very fun time uh, the past two nights. So, I mean, they did get back into that game Saturday night. Uh, penalty trouble for the Spartans really showed. Um, Tarek Baker, good wide-angle goal to get 
hit to get on the score sheet for them, but it's with a with certain teams in the Big Ten that may not be able to run and gun like they used to be or like they thought they could be. That when you take a look at the Spartans' top line and you take a look at Middendorf, who's got a scrappy line mate in Lochran, who has a Calgary draft pick and Nodler, who's been here for a little bo- a little while, and he's got that maturity, which is why he's a top line center. Then you take a look and Middendorf just slots in. And it's like, okay, give me the puck. Let me find if the puck's on my stick, it's going in. You know, I want to talk about what's happening between the pipes for this Michigan State team. And Drew DeRitter is having a fantastic season. His record is 6-2-1, and one, a save percentage of 949, goals against average of, of 1.87. But it seems like you think of someone like John Letham and now Drew DeRitter. Do you see it as a real kind of hallmark of this program under Danton Cole as, as, as good goaltending? Is that something you believe is is like a tradition that's starting to be established in this program? I will say this, and this is something that I said at the beginning of the year, was I thought Michigan State had one of the best, if not the best, goalie tandem in the Big Ten, if not the country. Just because Pierce Charlson looked amazing last year. He hasn't, if you look at his stats, they are inflated because of that 7-2 loss to Michigan. Yeah, 3-2-6 goals against, which, like you said, is inflated. Not good because of that Michigan game, but... To me, it's just Danton Cole riding the hot hand, and right now that's Drew DeRitter. I mean, he's he started the past four games, I believe, and they've all won them. But it's it's the fact that he's got that 949 save percentage because of the way that Michigan State's been playing. They're blocking those high-quality scoring opportunities from the point. They're, if the puck does get on the net, as you saw with Wisconsin putting up 50 shots last night, they're, they're easy. They're, they're stops that he should be able to make as a senior in a Division One Big Ten hockey program. And that's exactly what he's doing. You have, a, you have a 949 save percentage for a reason. And it's because a lot of teams like Ferris were getting in shots, but they weren't high-quality scoring opportunities. If That's the thing with Danton Cole teams that I've seen the past two years is, boy, do they get outshot, and sometimes it is bad. But scoring chance opportunities are a lot closer than people would think just because you have to the way that they calculate both of them is very different. So for me, Michigan State their def, their defensive play has been the biggest reason why Drew DeRitter is still being ridden with the hot hand. You know, I want to talk about the power play a little bit, and there's really obviously the Behind the Mask podcast, an Impact Eight to Nine FM exclusive that can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Behind the Mask podcast and many people surrounding Michigan State hockey, there's been a lot said about this this Michigan State power play. How, how have you seen that unit improve this year? Or lack thereof? As a fan, this is, this is my opinion as a fan. Yes. Thank God. Because last year they were atrocious on the power play. What were the final numbers again? It was sub six percent. Ouch. Which is what I think Wisconsin. I think it's up to twenty five ish percent this year. It's it's above twenty, and they went three for seven this week. Which is, if I can do math, that is point one two five. We need a calculator. It's a little bit. That's around thirty percent. Solid. I think Actually, like thirty one percent. I'll get a calculator out here. I. I'm holding up my calculator. Three divided by seven. Because I know one over oh, eight. It's is, actually forty two percent. Well, they they it's a night and day difference between this season and last season. Whenever you have, I'm pretty sure they capitalized seven times on the power play, and you're going into your you're going into a Big Ten uh, championship first round game against Minnesota with a power play at six point seven percent, and you're third worst in the league 
or third worst in the NCAA behind like Long Island and one other Long team. Long Island, I didn't know they existed. Yeah, Long Island University, the Sharks, they, they, they're not wow. having a fun time. The Sharks, that's they, a good, it's a cool nickname, I'll give them that. It is. But this power play is a, it's night and day from where they were last year and being able to go to practice and kind of seeing what they've been able to do, it's kind of surprising because I'll get a chuckle in the press box every time that they score a power play goal. It's like, hmm, I've seen that play or, hmm, okay, that person, that that's, that's how they drew it up. That's exactly how they wanted it to work. So it, it's, and who they have on the power play is especially, um, it's one of those things where it kind of opens your eyes because last season they had two defensemen, three forwards, and they were able to bring in Nash Neenhouse as a freshman and have him quarterback the top power play unit, and they had Dennis Asana kind of waiting in that OV one-timer position off the face-off dots. Well, this year, they're still able to have Sasana and Neenhouse, but now they can put them together, they can separate them because they have enough wealth to spread. They have enough guys that, you know, have that, swagger to be able to go out on the power play and say yes i i think i can score or i actually know i can score and they went three for seven on the weekend which is very good and they if they continue to do that they will be able to beat some of the top teams what are your expectations back-to-back road trips before christmas break two games in university park against penn state this upcoming weekend and then notre dame for two what are your expectations headed into that road trip and what kind of challenges does it present like I said, every team is beatable, but especially now. This is the part of the season where you you can't afford to not go 500. You need to win. You need to split these two series. In the Big Ten, if you want to have any chance of success, you have to win. You, you hope to sweep your home series, and when you go on the road, you hope to split. If you do that, you're in very good position to finish third or fourth in, in the conference. But... If we take a look at these road trips, first off, they get the week off of Thanksgiving, which is something they haven't had in a while. It's a plus. Which is a plus. Because, Rest and relax. Because you're going to University Park. You're going to Pagula, which is a very hard place to play at and a very hard place to win at. And especially with a Penn State team that is one in five in the conference, but apparently beat North Dakota at Bridgestone Arena and has like played up to a few teams as you know beaten they have a seven and six record they're over 500 they've beaten teams but I mean you're going one in five and I think their only wins against Ohio State it's this is going to be a very weird kind of game for them because this is the first time that Michigan State is playing in Pagula with fans for a while since because with the with the pandemic they didn't have a lot of fans and that is a very hard Penn State fans I give them credit because no matter what sport they're is in, it a hockey they school show, now. They I stink. Think, they stink I think at football. We said, well, I mean, yeah, but the thing is, they stink is, at men's basketball. For me, no matter and women's basketball, no they're, matter they're bad what, at everything. No matter what they do, their fans show up and they make it. A, they make it. They make noise. So that's going to be a very tough place to play in. And then you follow that up with a trip to South Bend, and this is this is the one thing that I have no clue because Notre Dame technically is in first place of the Big Ten because of games played in the conference and like its point percentage, I think is how they have it based off right now. They have a ten and three record. They are surprisingly good. I had no clue what to make of this Notre Dame team. I've always said, you know, they play up to people, they play down to people. They swept Michigan. They lost to Minnesota at Mariucci, which is the Olympic sheet. I knew they would. Um yeah, I have no clue what to make of this Notre Dame team because they, they can be hit or miss. They may not. But 
Michigan State, if they go 500 on two consecutive road trips, because they, they've only gone on the road twice already this season, I'm and they've Ohio only won State and at, at, at UMass. Or actually, oh, so yeah, UMass they've Lowell, gone five five games then. Yost six and games. Columbus. So still lighter. They they lost to Michigan at Yost. They beat Ferris at in Big Rapids, but they're only one and one, two, and one in those other games. The tie against UMass and then getting slaughtered, or not necessarily slaughtered, but handedly beaten by them the next day. And then you win against Ohio State, but then just get dismantled the next day. It's they're going to have to find a way to win on the road this year because not all those, even those games at home are not going to come easy. They have to win a few games on the road. And it starts with this road trip because right now teams are playing their best hockey going into the break. And if you can get points ahead of those teams that are, that are ahead of you in the standings right now, who's to say that they don't come out of the, the winter break. They don't come out of the starting blocks immediately firing on all cylinders you know, it takes it takes a few. That's the reason why you play non-conference games to start a few, like to start the season and go from there. Because you want to be playing your best hockey when it matters the most, and that's usually at the end of the breaks. Two quick ones before we let you go. Once again, this is MSU hockey beat reporter Cam McLaren for WDBM. Yesterday was a fantastic hockey tradition at Mun Ice Arena, and that would be the teddy bear toss. How was the teddy bear toss? I, every time I think of a teddy bear toss, I think of the Hershey Bears. They have a hell of a teddy bear toss. Yeah, that it did, wasn't did we live Hershey, up to the Hershey Bears. It was not Hershey esque. I, I I was almost kind of wondering when it would happen because I thought it was gonna be like, oh, after the first goal, you know, full on teddy hoorah, bears. like a let's go. But it it's ended like a, up happening at the end of the game. Um it was already a five to two game, so I guess a lot of the students um filed out perhaps. Perhaps. Um they I wasn't go, I wasn't really looking up. I mean the they wanted total to go attendance, get hydrated. So to say, speak. It, I mean, total attendance was five thousand nine, which is very good because Michigan State's averaging one of the higher attendance numbers in the NCAA. Seems like they always are up there, oh, top always. fifteen, top ten, always. But um, the teddy bear toss, I wish it would have been more. I I, I wish they could have had a Hershey esque experience, but it's just like a, a good waterfall of, of of stuffed animal teddy bears when it's in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I've been by that hockey arena before; gorgeous facility. Yeah, I have not. I tend to not travel through Pennsylvania. I actually think I've only been through the state once. One more for you. And, and once again, we talked about, we had a Texan text into the show. We love Texas. You're from Texas. Horns down, by the way. Horns down. You are a Dallas Stars fan. I want a quick Dallas Stars vibe. Henry, horns down, am I right? The Texans that may or may not have been texting me will not appreciate that. Oh, oh no, they no. won't. They they won't. I can already tell you that. But it's, so they it's, they may or may not be Longhorns. They are Longhorns. They actually do have one uh, cowpoke though. Just like oh, Oklahoma State. okay. I'd be interested to hear their thoughts. If you're out there and you're still interested in texting into the show, Steve Sarkeesian should he be fired after one season? That's that's my question. If you lose to Kansas. In the fashion they lost that to West you Virginia did. this past week. They're not going to make a bowl for the first time since I think sixteen. I mean, he, Sarkeesian, terrible. But nevertheless, you're you're a Texas native. I want to do a Dallas Stars, your beloved Dallas Stars uh, vibe check. My beloved Detroit Red Wings lost to the Coyotes yesterday, who are terrible. That was just their third win of the year. But I, I hope your vibes with your hockey team are a little bit better than mine right now because the Coyotes are terrible and their uniforms were ugly yesterday. So, nevertheless, 
they're they were ugly. They were wearing the uniforms with the coyote with the hockey stick on them that were like black and red and green. I'm, you, I was not a fan. You are disrespecting the Kachina jerseys. Oh my god! I, I was not a fan of the Kachina jerseys. If the Texas fans out there are already booing me, pretty much every hockey f- fan in the United States is booing you right now. Be- Ouch! Because of that take, I'm on making the a lot of enemies. Yeah, the the Kachinas are top tier in my opinion sorry damn but I, I, i'm making enemies i digress um my vibe check with the stars is as followed um you know that little like the the meme whenever you're at the smiley or one of the emojis when you're texting and it's just the two two eyes and it's just a guy with a flat line for a mouth yes where it's like very hmm. indifferent but not happy yeah that's how i'm at right now uh they sit seven seven and two uh, they finally got their first regulation win last week. I think it was right. 10 days ago that they got it. Um, you you play two games and you win 5-2. to two. You have certain people in the lineup. You have people going back to Minnesota to play in their first times playing. Ryan Suter, who signed with them in the offseason, goes back to Minnesota after playing seven years with them. Uh, you have Jake Ottinger, who's a Minnesota kid. Goes back. He's he's not playing. He knows he's not playing. But then you have the Riley Tuft or Tuft situation, where the kid, you know, gets called up to play with the Stars because they drop a few players. Goes in, thinks he's pl- or knows he's not playing, and then gets call- uh, essentially called before the game at the morning skate to say, "Hey, we have a few fa- like positive tests, you know, in in the program. Two people can't go. You're in." And then four hours later, he gets a call. Hey, you're not in because they were actually false positives. And apparently he had bought, he had spent all the money that he had got on the call up to, from the AHL to the NHL. They get, a, they get a paycheck for showing up to the game for, they get an NHL style salary for that one game. I wish we did that for radio. That'd be kind of cool. He essentially spent all of that on tickets to have his family and friends and everybody show up to Very that game. Very generous of him. And he didn't play. He was a healthy oh. scratch. And the stars ended up losing seven to two. Should have played them. Well, yeah that that's that's the whole Twitter storm right now going on with the Dallas Stars fans. But then they make up for it. They scored two shorthanded goals last night. Beat the Blues. Thank you. Thank you. I have ammunition Jacob over Stinson. Jacob. Fellow WDBM hockey beat reporter Jacob Stinson is a massive St. Louis Blues fan. Yeah, his, so his goalie's a crybaby. So ah, uh, Bennington. Yeah, Benny. If you if you really want to get a, few, a like a chuckle, I'm pretty sure somebody's made a compilation over Jordan Bennington going full rage mode back when he was in San Antonio with the Rampage. Fitting, fitting that he he he, he goes on frequent rampages. he goes on frequent ra- rampages, and now he's swinging sticks at opponents. <laughs> and it's, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Well, yeah. the bottom line is this: every time we have you. Join the radio program to talk Michigan State hockey. We'll also be simultaneously talking Dallas Stars hockey. So if we have fans from Texas or fans from the the beautiful mid-Michigan area that happen to be Dallas Stars fans, you know that any time that Cam is going to appear on the show, there's not only going to be green and white hockey, but there's also going to be a little bit lighter of a green and white hockey, and that'd be the Dallas Stars. But thank you, Cam, for joining us. As always, you can follow Cam's work, impact89fm.org. Cam is also a hockey broadcaster here on WDVM. 88.9 88.9 FM in the Lansing area and impact89fm.org slash listen live. Cam, thank you very much. Have a good Thanksgiving. Yes, thank you for having me. Enjoy. 
guests galore this morning on the Green and White Report. In three minutes on the other side of the break, 11-18, we're going to have Michael Markoch join us, Michigan State women's basketball beat reporter. Another program that's on a roll right now, off to a 4-0 start on the young season. We're going to have Michael join us, and then we're going to get into a Sparty Awards topic that may or may not have to do with Thanksgiving, may or may not have to do with food, so we'll just see about that. But you're listening to the Green and White Report on WDBM East Lansing. Welcome back to the Green and White Report on WDBM. Pleased to be joined live in studio by Michigan State women's basketball beat reporter Michael Markoch. He's a another fantastic WDBM beat reporter and broadcaster. Michael, who is in a Denzel Ward jersey. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I want to I want to get into this Michigan. We're going to get into a, a, a variety of things because not only are you a Cleveland Browns fan, but you're an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. We're going to keep true. that. We're going to keep that for the end of the segment so we can Absolutely. stay timely here. But well, let's get into this Michigan State women's basketball team. They're mm-hmm. off to a perfect four and zero start on the season. Wins against Moorhead State, Niagara, Valparaiso, Bryant today at two p.m. They take on Fordham in the Bronx at two p.m. You can stay with WDBM for full coverage. But this team is off to a perfect 4-0 start. Obviously, pretty inferior opponents. But how have you been pleased with the Spartans' effort so far through four? You know, so far there's a lot to like. I think the two things that really stand out are the defense and the in the perimeter shooting. Currently, they're shooting 42% from three as a team, which is absolutely Strong. absurd. That is, they set a record in their first game against Moorhead State. 17 made threes in that game. Um, like you said, these aren't world beaters. Like, these aren't teams... They should never be losing to any of these teams, but it's good to see them putting away. And then the defense has been spectacular. Uh, the other night against Valparaiso, I think it was Tuesday night, Valparaiso made a little bit of a run, got it to about four, and then the defense kicked in and they went on like a like a 10-0 run. It was like a double-digit run, and they kind of put the game away and were able to beat Valpo on Tuesday. So I want to kind of take a, a holistic look at the season to this point, because this is the first time we've had you on the program. Michael will be a frequent guest alongside other WDBM women's basketball mm-hmm. reporters for the remainder of the season. But the big news, even before the first tip-off of the season, was Tori Osmond mm-hmm. and uh, Julia Aralt's season-ending injuries suffered before the season. And obviously, this Michigan State team is is still a club that has a lot of depth, that really did not help with the depth purposes at all. Who have you seen step up in the absence of Osmond and Aralt? And are you worried long-term about having those two players out for such an extended period of time? Um, I mean, I'll answer the first part of the question first. Uh, definitely the players who have stepped up have been the freshmen. And, you know, credit to Coach Merchant for bringing in, you know, Dee Dee Hageman and Matilda Eck. Eck, who actually starts, she's starting for Aralt this season. And she's been fantastic early on. And then Dee Dee Hageman, who's kind of the sixth man, that point guard off the bench, she just won Big Ten Freshman of the Week for women's basketball. So she, uh, they're both spectacular. And But in the long run, you know, I think they could. I mean, that's a lot of leadership you're missing. And last year, Tori Osmond was, she was one of the heart, she was like the heart and soul of that team. Like whenever that team needed a stop, whenever that team needed a basket, like that was, that was what Tori was there for. And it'll be interesting to see what they do to kind of fill her role because Hageman's coming off the bench. But she's kind of playing a little bit of that Osmond role as well as, you know, Cloudon has to step up. Winston's got to step up. And But, I mean, overall, so far, the freshmen have been spectacular. Do you think the expectation is that Osmond is going to return for another season with another year of eligibility? You know, I don't know. I, I know that, you know, knowing 
you know, knowing Susie Merchant enough, she would love to have Tori back. Tori's a, you know, a great captain as well. Yeah. She's a captain. She's a great voice in that locker room and on the floor. She's one of those extended coaches out on the floor for Coach Merchant. But, like, at the same time, I mean, I, I would think she would probably come back. I mean, I don't know what her plans are exactly past Michigan State. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if she took the extra year knowing that she basically lost her senior year. During the last MSU hockey segment with Cam McLaren, we talked about some of the transfer portal additions that hockey coach Danton Cole made to the Spartans. Mm-hmm. And Susie Merchant, head coach of the women's basketball team, she she didn't waste any time getting in the portal as well. Adding Tamara Farquhar from Purdue, who has played a lot this season and played pretty well. What have you seen from Farquhar, and is she a pretty valuable addition to this club, in your opinion? Farquhar is a big addition to this team. I actually saw her play last year when Purdue came to the Breslin. Uh and she was starting for Purdue. She comes off the bench for Michigan State, grad transfer senior. Um, she can do a lot of everything. You know, she's tall. She can shoot the ball from outside the perimeter. She can, you know, score down low. She's also a really great defender. Uh, she's just a nice, you know, voice to have, kind of like when they had Janae Crooms last year, just one of those transfers that comes in and, you know, knows how to win. Purdue wasn't exactly the most winningest team. I think they finished last in the Big Ten last season. But, I mean, she's been so far doing really well. She had a really nice game on Friday against Bryant. Uh, I, I can't, off the top of my head, I don't remember how many points she had, but she had a really good day against Bryant. But she's a really good piece off the bench, a nice experience piece, like I said, because you got, you know, people like Hageman coming off the bench, and you got people like, um, trying to think of the other name, Alexander coming off the bench. And, like, those players were very young, and then you put them with someone like Tamara Farquhar who can really kind of set the tone. I want to talk about, obviously, when you think of this Michigan State team, kind of the headlining act is the backcourt duo mm-hmm. of Eliza Winston and Nia Cloudon. <clears throat> Pardon me. What do you see as the ceiling for that duo this year? And perhaps is there a third backcourt player that could step up for this Michigan State team and kind of join them? Because it seems like under Coach Merchant, the history of this program and obviously her 15th season is their guard play has is, is, is just been phenomenal. Yeah, and Coach Merchant does a really good job of recruiting young guards. I mean, I've already talked about Hageman. She's just a freshman, and she's probably going to be starting, if not by the end of this year, probably next year. Um, but Cloud and Winston have been phenomenal to start the season. I mean, especially Eliza Winston. She is leading the team in points, I believe, 17-and-a-half. Uh, she's shooting 38% from three, which is very good. She's their best three-point shooter. Uh, she also takes the most of them. And last year, Winston didn't get off to really – a spectacular start she was kind of cold from the jump it actually led her to I mean I don't know exactly the reasoning behind this but she actually got they actually moved her to the bench like midway through the season and she started coming off the bench for a few games and then an injury you know put her back into the starting lineup and she was a main force coming down the stretch to lead Michigan State to that run in the Big Ten tournament and you know into the NCAA tournament and then I mean Nia Cloudon is I mean she's the team is going to go as far as Nia Cloudon will take them she is you know the wooden Ward and Naismith award, uh, award watch list preseason. Uh, she's really heating up. She had tw- uh, 18 against Valparaiso. And then I think she had, she was over 20 against Bryant. It was her first 20 plus game of the season. Um, but she, she has been running a lot of point guard early in this season. Uh, Coach Merchant's really been putting the ball in her hands. Kind of, that's kind of one of the things she'd done kind of without Osment. Uh, Nia Cloudon has the ball in her hands a lot more, kind of facilitating. She's passing the ball really well. I think she leads the team in assists. And but I mean, as for someone else who might step up, I mean, you know, you got to think, you know, Mo Joyner. Um, she's come. She's played very well so far in the starting lineup. She took a hard fall against Valparaiso. I don't 
quite know what her status is. Um, but I mean, it's Didi. It's off the bench. It, it's I think Didi Didi Hageman definitely could join them and make that kind of a three-headed monster. If you want to run with like a three-guard set with maybe Eck and Smith at the forward line, you know, I think that could work. Looking kind of at the path forward here for the Spartans, they play Fordham obviously today at two. St. Francis, Brooklyn, Oakland, Marshall—the big game against Notre Dame in the ACC Big Ten Challenge coming up Tuesday, December second. But then. After that, they start getting into the the heat, obviously, of the West Palm invite. But this Big Ten has the potential to be deep and talented as really as ever. You know, thinking about this game and, you know, talking to Coach Merchant before the season, I think the Spartan team is really excited about the challenges that the Big Ten presents. And really, there's going to be a lot of great clubs coming through East Lansing this year. Where do the Spartans, in your opinion, stand in the Big Ten race? And how excited are you to, you know, as a reporter and just a lover of basketball, mm-hmm. how excited are you to see some of these, these powerful Big Ten programs come into East Lansing this year? So it's actually going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I think Michigan State may be slightly a bit underrated based on where they're being projected. There are currently five teams in the Big Ten ranked in the top 25, three in the top 10. You got Maryland. Strong. Maryland is ranked third in the country. Indiana's right behind them at four. Iowa's eighth. Michigan is in the mid-teens. They're at 13. And then Ohio State has even snuck in there. I don't think they were ranked to start the year, but they're there now at 21. So I think right now the top four is, I mean, it's clear. you got Maryland, who is, Maryland's dominated the Big Ten for women's basketball for the last few years. Iowa's really, really good. Indiana is a team that Michigan State upset in the Big Ten tournament last year. Michigan is always a good team. And then Ohio State's, Ohio State always has a good team as well. And so I think, I think Michigan State's kind of in that range. I think the top four are kind of set. I think Michigan State and Ohio State are kind of leading that second tier. I think this is a team that you could see get ranked here in a few weeks if they can keep winning. Now, again, they're not playing anyone spectacular, but if they can go maybe beat win that game against Notre Dame, who Notre Dame isn't what they used to be, but they're still a very quality opponent, and they always have a good team. If you can maybe get into that game and you're still maybe hovering around undefeated, Mark, like this, this is a team that definitely I think could get ranked. I think they can make a lot of noise in the Big Ten in the Big Ten because they arguably have the best player. We're joined here on the Green and White Report by Michael Markoch, WDBM's women's basketball beat reporter. But Michael is also the host of Impact 89 FM's very own NFL podcast, The Pylon. Sure. Michael is also a, a staunch Ohio State Buckeyes supporter, not only in football, but also men's basketball and everything. So I wanted to get a little bit of football in here before we let you go. We'll start mm-hmm. with the Buckeyes and then go into the Browns today. This is just fantastic timing because your Cleveland Browns are playing my and Trent Det- Trent's Detroit Lions today. They are. We're, we'll get into that in a moment, though. Yeah. But, we, you know, Henry and I, we talked back and forth before you came in the studio about Michigan State and Ohio State yesterday and really the gap between those two programs still being very large. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Coach Tucker is in a position with the resources he's going to have at this Michigan State with this Michigan State program to start slimming that gap in recent years. But the gap is about the same as it has been. Both Henry and I aren't really giving Michigan a chance to beat them this week. Just your thoughts on Ohio State. I personally think they can win a national championship this year because I'm not necessarily as bought in on Georgia as others. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to hear your thoughts not only about the Michigan State game, your thoughts headed into Michigan, but college football playoff, Big Ten championship, national championship. There is a lot on the table for this Ohio State team. Absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with you. I think this team can 100% win a national championship. Their offense is 
without question, the best in football in all of I don't think it's football. even close. It's it's not. They, they're first place in almost every major offensive category. Um, and just the clinic that they put on yesterday, just up and down the field, just with complete ease, uh, just really showed up. And, you know, I think Georgia is definitely probably their stiffest competition. Georgia, like Ohio State, if you flip over to the defensive side, there's Georgia leading in almost every defensive category. That would be that'd be a that'd be a David and Goliath. That's the, well, there wouldn't be a David and Goliath. That'd game, be unbelievable. That's that'd the be game I think everybody matchup. wants to see at least in the playoff at some point. Whether it is a semifinal game, whether it's I mean I know a lot of people want to see it in the national championship. Uh, you know the sky's the limit for this team. Arguably they're a they're I mean I, I want to say they're a better team than last year's team, but they're 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 close. Um, there hasn't been a very significant drop off at the quarterback position, which is odd when you're replacing Justin Fields, but that's how good C.J. Stroud's been. But the main key to this team is their defense. Their defense has been spectacular since that Oregon game. They're one of the top rush defenses in the country. I give Ryan Day credit. He acted with, with haste yeah. in, in, in making a change at, at defensive coordinator. They and it really paid off. Yep. It really paid off. I want to hit on the Browns as well, too. <laughs> like we said, you're wearing a, a Denzel Ward jersey. Your Browns are playing my beloved Detroit Lions, led by none other than Tim Boyle, the pride of Eastern Kentucky and the other school he went to, I don't even know. I, I heard it. I heard it today. Packers preseason legend too. That is true. Every, all the <laughs> Packers fans were like, "Oh, he's going to be something for us." I guess we'll see about that today. <laughs> but big picture with the Browns mm-hmm. before we let you go, because you're a Browns guy and you're our resident NFL expert, host of the Pylon Podcast, I Apple am. Podcast, and Spotify, um, which is going to be posted momentarily as well. It's just a tease. the The Browns. We we both agree that even though it's been a pretty uneven start to the year, injuries, Odell Beckham Jr., et cetera, et cetera. There's still a path forward for this team, I believe. No, there absolutely is. They sit at 5-5. Five and five. They're currently last place in the AFC North, but the Ravens are ahead in the North right now. They're 6-3. and three. They don't have Lamar Jackson today against the Bears, and then the Browns actually play the Ravens twice in the next three weeks. They play them, have a bye week, come back out, play them again, and the Ravens have the Steelers sandwiched in between those games. So... I mean, the Browns are like a game and a half out of first place in the division, and they're five and five. The division is so competitive; it's so wide open. All four teams could win it, um, but they're still. I mean, they're they're battling a lot of injuries right now. I mean, Baker Mayfield just said it this week; he's in the worst shape of his life. Hey, I mean, you and I agreed that there's really no reason why he should be playing against the Lions today, especially considering you know Tim Boyle is starting. I don't get that. Yeah, I, to me, I don't hate it. It's you know, Coach Stefanski saying you know we're not going to take them for granted i you respect know, that. they're still an nfl team i think very well if you could see it if the browns jump up in this game today and they're up pretty decently at halftime they're gonna probably phase baker out of there bringing keenum just to make sure he doesn't get hurt even more than he is he's dealing with like four injuries right now he's playing like on one arm and one leg so but i think you could see that but you know coach defansky's a guy he's not going to take the lines lightly no matter what the record says they are they're a desperate team they're looking for a win and that's sometimes when they get to be the most dangerous. Michael Markoch, WDBM women's basketball beat reporter, host of the Pylon. He does lots of things around the station. Browns fan and Ohio State Buckeyes fan as well. You'll be back on the program. Michael will be joining us throughout the women's basketball season to talk about the Spartans and, you know, perhaps updates on Ohio State's national championship run or the Browns potentially making a run back to the top of the division. Nevertheless, though, Michael, thank you very much for joining us and have a good holiday. Yeah, absolutely. You guys too. Thanks for having me on. Speaking of holidays, on the other side of the break, it's a Sparty Awards Thanksgiving Foods Edition. 
And let me tell you, it is going to be fantastic. But before that, we're going to hit a break, and then we're going to have a sports update around the pro sports world, specifically Detroit. Manit Patel is in studio to do that. You're listening to the Green and White Report on WDBM. Impact 89 FM. Bringing you sports updates this Sunday and every Sunday. This is the Impact Sports Update. Welcome into the Impact Sports Studio Update. This week, the Detroit Lions face off against the Cleveland Browns at 1 p.m. Jared Goff and Trey Flowers are both listed as out for the game. Big other NFL games this weekend include the Chiefs-Cowboys and the Packers-Vikings. And we have a loaded college basketball slate tonight, too, with number 5 Villanova taking on number 6 Purdue and number 17 Tennessee taking on number 18 UNC. That'll be it for the Impact Sports Update. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Manit. Manit will be joining us throughout the, the show this year with sports updates, not only on the Detroit sports world, the professional sports world, but also Michigan State and college as well. Thank you, Manit. Big uh, big slight in college basketball today and the rest of the weekend. And Thanksgiving is always a historically great week for college hoops. You have the battle for Atlantis. You have the Maui Gym Classic. You have Michigan's playing in Las Vegas right now. Always a great time. You have food. You have football. You have fun. And speaking of food... This brings us to the Sparty Awards. No Trent this week, but I we have an idea of what his th- favorite Thanksgiving foods are. But it's Henry, it's myself, it's the Sparty Awards, and it's Thanksgiving foods. Hang on, man. I get, now I got technical difficulties. Oh, it's okay. Oh, wait, wait. wait. I got, I, it's an easy fix. Just hang on. Give me a second here. No problem. Oh, we're ready to roll. Wow. We're ready to roll. That's why they pay him the big bucks. We are ready to roll. This is the Sparty Awards. Obviously, no Trent. We're going to have, well, maybe maybe Trent will text in his favorite Thanksgiving foods. 517-884-8989 for anybody else who's interested in texting in their favorite Thanksgiving foods. But everyone knows the drill. Well, well is- actually, hang on. this is my first Sparty Awards of the year that I'm contributing to. Not just honorable mention. So, we will, you're doing top three? I'd, I'd say because it's just that you and I... We'll do top four. Top four. Because there are, there are so many delicious and delectable Thanksgiving foods all over the table. I want to give a special shout out to my grandmother who cooks just delicious Thanksgiving food year after year, as well as my Aunt Jill. Both of you are incredibly talented, especially when it comes to Thanksgiving. Thank you both. And I, I'll start it off and then we'll kick it to Henry and then go back and forth. But I think this is a layup. It's the, it's the turkey. I now, love the turkey. Dark meat, preferably. Absolutely dark meat. Now, I, I recently just got into a, a, a very heated discussion about this, saying that turkey is horrible. Oh, no. Not me. I was not saying this, of course. And that ham is the superior food to have on Thanksgiving. Oh, my gosh. Can we give? We need to give this person a buzzer, I Th- think. This, was this a, is terrible. No, this wasn't one person. This was a group of people hounding me, essentially... Berating me with this falsified information. You know, Taylor Halterman, co-host of AM's on 89, Impact 89 FM's very own morning show, her belief is that ham is also the superior Thanksgiving food. Have you ever encountered that in person, ham on Thanksgiving? Never. 
It's, I I never have, and I plan blasphemous. to. I, I never I never have, and I never. It's will. egregious. It's disgusting. Disgusting. Turkey. Tur- I just have to put turkey as my first submission because it's the crown jewel of your Thanksgiving sure. table. Dark meat, lots of gravy. Okay. My uncle smokes a turkey every year, which okay. is delicious. Got to go with the turkey. All right. Well, I'll, I'll move on to my my first pick. A little bit of, a little bit off the beaten tr- track, perhaps, and this is sometimes divisive. Cranberry sauce. Yes, I love cranberry sauce. And with the turkey, I'm a huge cranberry yeah. sauce. Cranberry sauce fan. over the top of everything. Oh, I know. I completely I agree. If you get a cranberry sauce stuffing combination, cranberry sauce turkey combination, cranberry sauce gravy combination, mashed potatoes, or if you just want to eat it alone, you know, you stole one of my submissions because I love cranberry sauce. It's not even close. It, I, I wish we ate cranberry sauce on more holidays than just Thanksgiving because that's all. I don't eat it on Christmas, just Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, it, it is. It is a, a sad truth that that's not more universally. I, I can you can say that about turkey though. When else do you just eat a whole turkey? Never, never. Oh, never. See, you know, I know some people that have turkey on Christmas, but see, that'd be weird because ham is traditionally what my family has on Christmas, like ham or beef, usually ham, maybe both. But nevertheless, we we need to continue to just berate the people that think ham is yeah, a Thanksgiving horrible. food. Just a terrible take. My Second of four Sparty Awards submissions for Thanksgiving foods is another layup, in my opinion, and that would be the stuffing. I love the stuffing. Absolutely. Put some Classic. sausage in there, celery, you know, you got your bread, I, you know, put some bacon in there potentially, some other spices. So I just love the stuffing because I take my stuffing and I put lots of gravy on it. I just put gravy on my whole plate. I just put my plate together, and then I take the gravy and the cranberry sauce and just smother it on everything. But I love stuffing. That's another food where when do you have stuffing and Never. it's not Thanksgiving. But every, every, every aunt or grandmother has, like, their stuffing recipe that's, like, their recipe. It's been passed down. It's, like, the restaurants who, you know, won't have people steal, like, their tomato sauce recipe. Everyone's got their stuffing recipe. I love stuffing. Big stuffing guy. All right, I'm going to continue to try and get, and like get a little off the beaten path here. And you I, go, may, I I'm I'm going to start swaying off okay. the beaten path a little bit as well. Okay. Well, maybe maybe you don't even have this. I've encountered many people who don't have this. So, my shout out to my family in the UP if you're listening. Uh, we have mashed rutabaga. Wow. What does that entail? I know I you, know, you rutab- know what a rutabaga is, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, it's I, great. I have I have that in a pasty. I love pasties. Yeah, exactly. I am of Finnish heritage, so. There we go. Yeah. What is so? Is it explain the dish? It, it's really. It's is not, it simple or it's, is it it's souped like, up? You treat it like a potato. You know, it's like a mashed potato, but instead you just do that same thing to a rutabaga. A little, that sounds there's a little good. brown sugar in there, so it's a little mm. sweeter. Would you put butter on there too? I think so. I don't. I don't make it. I was going to ask you. Are you? Are you preparing a dish? Are you helping your family cook? Usually, usually what I'm in charge of is. Is kind of twofold. My household, being me, my sister, and my father, my mother, usually we're kind of in charge of the desserts. Okay. We always make like pies, and my mom has a delicious apple cake recipe that she makes every year. So we're kind of in charge of the dessert wing of things. But my grandmother, I'll come over to her house nice and early to start watching the Lions lose on Thanksgiving like they always do, and she'll have me peeling potatoes and oh, helping out around the kitchen. So I'm, I'm earning my meal. Okay, good. I'm a very, More than, me. More I'm than a, me. I'm a very good potato peeler. I'll peel potatoes and watch the Lions, you know, go down 14 nothing against the Bears. But nevertheless, I digress. This I'm going off the beaten path a little bit as well, I 
think, because I don't know if everyone necessarily has this on their table, but in both sides of my family, this is kind of a always a tradition, and that would be the green bean casserole. I love the green bean casserole. So this is something that I don't, I've never really encountered in the real world. It's one of those. It's very, I love a green bean casserole. It's one of those Thanksgiving dishes that like you see in the movies and like in the pictures on the Hallmark cards or whatever. I've the never Campbell's had soup. Yeah, I've like never commercial. Had another another one like that is the sweet potato. What is that? The sweet potato pie, or what is that? Uh, yeah, know? it's like a sweet potato pie with like marshmallows. Marshmallows. On top. I I've never had that. Never before. had that. It's like it's like on every like I'm pretty sure it's like in like the peanuts cartoons. Like it's yeah, a, you know it's I never have it though. So neither do I. I I love green bean casserole though. It's 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 pretty simple to make. It's just your green beans, you know, fresh or canned. Usually, I think my family does fresh. You got your cream of mushroom soup, and then you put your crispy onion straws on top, and it's just a perfect like foil to the rest of the meal. Because you have your traditional, squ- I love squash too. By the way, oh, yeah. it's not on my list, but Shut I love squash. squash. You got your squash and your mashed potatoes and your turkey and your cranberry sauce, and then your change up is kind of that green bean casserole with the crispy onion straws on top. Love the green bean casserole. So that's my third. I, I hope I'm not stealing a submission here, but are are you a mac and cheese at Thanksgiving family? We are not. The, those those exist though. <laughs> oh, they definitely do. And that was we never like, have shocking been. to me when I discovered that fa- a lot of families have mac I, and cheese I, on Thanksgiving. I, I'm not. We've never had mac and cheese at Thanksgiving. But like you said, like slowly but surely, more people were like, oh. Mac and cheese is like the staple. They're of like table. they're like gaining confidence as they realize that more people have it, and they're like starting to yeah. tell it. Like, say, like they're trying to take over. They're trying to like they're they're taking push over. this on me that I should have Thanksgiving at my thanks or I should have mac and cheese at my Thanksgiving dinner. I couldn't really imagine. I just like there's already a lot of carbs with the stuffing and <laughs> and the mash. But like I, I don't think anyone's counting carbs on Thanksgiving. Yeah, man. that's very true. Anyway, my next submission. Yes, your third. Let's move into desserts. I mean. I, I love a good. So pe- you're gonna have two desserts here because you have two submissions left. No, I'm, well, maybe because this is no. Fr- never, we're, we're rolling. I don't know. We're rolling. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll call an audible. Anyways, we're, just, we're bunching everything together. Uh, moving desserts for this third submission, anyways. Is, and I love a good pecan pie. I love a good apple pie. Yes. And I'll I'll eat it any time of the year. But there's something about pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving with a little whipped with cream. With the whipped cream on top. Oh, every year that is that's a go-to. I. I love pumpkin pie too. Yeah. I kind of have two more pseudo submissions because pumpkin pie is just kind of like the A1 Sparty Sparty Awards Thanksgiving food. Put your whipped cream on there. But there's another pie that catches my eye on Thanksgiving, and that would be apple pie, but mm. not your typical apple pie. That would be the Dutch apple pie. Dutch apple. With the little crumble on top. So the what's brown the sugar. Dutch apple is literally just it doesn't have like a top, right? Yeah. It, it's it? basically the, the the base pie crust is the same, the apple filling is the same, but instead of like a closed top with like the little creases in it, like a little heart on there or whatever, it's just like a brown sugar and, and some sugar, like a crumble, <laughs> like a crumbly top. Lots of sugar. We want Lots of sugar. We want and it's it. delicious. My other pseudo submission is rolls. Yeah. I, mean, I love rolls. You, you dip them in your up. gravy, you dip them in your mashed potatoes. A good roll, nothing can replace a good roll on Thanksgiving. Nothing. No. I love a roll. Honorable mention, real quick, before I get to my final. I mean, we didn't say mashed potatoes. It's It gets overlooked. It's a classic. It gets it's overlooked. Bore. I mean, it's, some people would say it's boring, but you need to have them. You need to have them. Do you have any other Thanksgiving like food that you always have every year? Or is it's, that it? Did we kind of round out the list for you? 
Because I'm telling you, every some- now and again, one of my aunts will show up on Thanksgiving. And see, this is the funny thing. Every Thanksgiving, we'll have something that's just random that okay. my aunt makes that she just brings. Like, I think one year it might have been like bacon wrapped scallops or something. And it's, oh. she'll just like find something fancy to cook. And she's a fantastic cook. Well, great. And she'll bring it along and it'll just turn out just fantastic. I think one year it was like bacon wrapped asparagus or something. Like so, something bacon wrapped is uh, I, which I team. have no problem with. Okay, but I, my Thanksgiving table is pretty traditional. Nothing really weird. Yeah. So, but the the one kind of change up to the change up, other than green bean casserole, would be like just kind of like something that someone brings along. A little fancy, a little yeah. Okay, I got you. A little accompaniment. So my last pick is something that we have every year, and I don't think it's a staple necessarily anywhere else, but. My grandma always makes this. My whole family loves it. Uh, is this like fruit salad with like marshmallows in it? And sounds very. Is it eaten with the dessert portion it's, of the meal? It's with the actual meal, to be honest with you. But it could just as easily as being been a dessert. So is it? Is it what kind of fruit are we talking here? It's like, like melon. No, no. It's more like uh, cherries. Like, but these are like not like the real fresh produce. It's like the like the little cheap little cherries and like the grapes. And there's like, uh, what else is that? Like, there's like mandarin oranges cut up in it, and like apples, mm, apple pieces cut up in it. And it's got uh, what? I need my mom to text me now. What, Some what kind cinnamon of, on there, maybe? Yeah, or... perhaps. But it's got the marshmallows, and then like the whole thing is tied together with like some kind of sauce. Some cut, yeah. Is it, I want to say like cream cheese for some reason. But I don't think it's cream cheese. It's something else. So it's not just like, it's not like just like picking fruit pieces. It's kind of more of a salad. It's like a very like it's it's all well tied together. Fruit cocktail. It's fruit cocktail. Okay. Fruit right? cocktail. So okay. you know what that is, right? That's like the, like the little cherries and like the- Some grapes. Man- yeah, yeah, oranges, yeah. Little apple slices. And it, and it is sour cream that you like mixes it all together. It sounds really good. Is there like some added sugar or like cinnamon perhaps? I'm sure there's added sugar. Yeah. It's very yeah. sweet. So- It sounds great. It's, it, is, it is great. Anyways, that's my that's my final. We have it every year. This was great. A this is a comprehensive list. I, and I'm not going to lie to you, Sloan Dog. We ran a little, we ran a little uh, long there. We're getting 10 minutes left in the show. Should we just jump right into the picks right now? Hey, that sounds perfect to me. That sounds perfect. I mean, you, this is, I mean, think about this. I, I, we're licking our chops here. We have, we're, we're talking about delicious Thanksgiving foods here on the Sparty Awards, and, and they were in, delicious. Our table, our Thanksgiving tables are just abundant. We got college football coming up. We got a beautiful week of college basketball coming up. Michigan State's going to play in the battle for Atlantis. We have the Egg Bowl, of course, which was mentioned. But, the the crown jewel is that's the third time I've said crown jewel is of course the NFL and and my favorite Thanksgiving tradition which is dressing up in Lions gear and lo- and watching them lose on Thanksgiving but nevertheless it's food it's football but before we get to the NFL third or the Thanksgiving NFL games we got NFL games today let's get after it all right, I'm pulling this up on the Mac, so it's going to be a little bit of a different uh, no setup problem. for me today. Here We're, we go. We called another audible. Another audible. First game, the Colts travel to play the Bills. The Bills are favored, favored excuse me, minus seven at home. Wow. I, I've, I've made it pretty clear on this program that I am a Colts supporter. Seven points is way too many for a Bills team that I think is going to finish in second place in the AFC East with the New England Patriots winning, give me the Bills to win, but I'm going to take the Colts in the points. I, I've been a big Bills supporter all year, 
And you Bill, know what? You're the leader of Bills Mafia, East yeah. Lansing. Why change that, man? Give me a table. I'm jumping through it. Give me, give me the Bills to cover here. They're good. That's a lot of points for them. That's to a cover. lot of cover. That's, yeah, I love the boys. I love, hey, I love Colts, Josh Allen. The Colts might have the best running back in football, who also is on my fantasy team. But do they have? Do they jump through tables, Sloan? They do not jump through. They tables. don't jump through tables. Give me the Bills to cover. It's here probably freaking cold up there Bills too in Mafia Buffalo. At home. I oh, love it. It's probably gritty up there. Next game, we got the Ravens traveling to pay the Bears. The Ravens are favored minus one on the road. Wow. I can't believe that they're only a pick them between the Ravens. I know that the Ravens defense stinks this year, but but I cannot believe that that is is, is minus one. Give me the Ravens by a million. Yeah. Well, uh, by a million. I don't know. I think they do win. I their, think defense, they win this game. their defense is concerningly yeah. bad. So give me the Ravens here to pick them. I don't well, think you have to worry about the you know. Spread Man- Manit at all, is you know? telling us that they have no Lamar Jackson. Which thank you, Manit. We appreciate that insight. I still am sticking with my gut though and picking the Ravens. Tyler Huntley. All right, I'll, st- I'll stick with it. The fighting Tyler Huntleys. I'm sticking with the Ravens. We, we both are. Okay. Next game, we got the Texans traveling to play the Titans. Tennessee favored minus ten at home. Wow, ten points is a lot. But I've been very impressed with this Titans team this year. Derrick Henry going down. They keep rolling. Mike Vrabel's got that defense readily improving. Julio Jones has really been no help to my fantasy team, but this is not a Luke's fantasy team segment. Give me the Titans. They'll cover. I know absolutely nothing about the Texans this year, and I think that's because they suck. Tyrod Taylor. Woohoo! So give me the Titans to cover here. Ten points. Love it. Next game is a big one. Here we go. You ready for this one, Sloan? Packers travel to play the Vikings. The, Vi- the Packers are favored minus one and a half points on the road. Wow. Minus one and a half points. So this is another pretty toss-up of a game. I, I'm i going with the up-down theory. The Skull up-down. Vikings. Skull Vikings, baby. This is the, every year, the Packers always lose one game in the division. They go five and one in the division. They're not losing to the Lions. They're not losing to the Bears. Give me the Vikings to beat the Packers today. Vikings win this one at home. They cover the points, obviously. I like that as well. And they turn their season around right here with the win, and they sneak into the wild card game. Seventh spot, baby. Skull Vikes. Here we go. I love it. Next game, Dolphins travel to play the, de- the Jets. Miami favored on the road, minus four. Wow. I, I I pray out there that uh, everybody in listener land. I pray that you're not going to watch this game or pay attention to it today. Dolphins, Jets. Are you? I mean, wow, what a terrible game! In, in terrible games like this, I usually just like to make crazy decisions. Yeah, me too. Give me the Jets outright. That's what I was going to say. What Jets money line. Why not? Jets sure. money line. It's a horrible game that no one's going to watch except for fans of both teams. And I'm sorry for you guys. I'm a Lions fan, so I'm, yeah. I'm in your club. Why not? Next game, we get the Saints. Yeah, we got the Saints traveling to play the Eagles. The Eagles favored minus three at home. The Eagles have been a sneaky, decent team this year. Yeah. Nick Sirianni, who everybody wrote off as as being some kind of bum, has them in playoff contention. The Saints, though, are even though they're the they're still the Jameis Winston-less Saints, so that's a big factor here. Even though I'm as much of a Sean Payton defender as anybody, I'm going to take the Eagles to cover those three points at home. They've just been very impressive this year. They're going to continue rolling. Give me the Saints money line. Why not? Huh? I, I'm in a. Wow. I, I'm in that kind of mood. I guess you're in. An, you're in an underdog yeah, mood. Saints money Vikings, line. Vikings. Saints. Well, I mean, here we go. Jets. I love it. Fire it up. Here we go. Washington travels to play the Panthers. Carolina favored minus three at home. I like the Panthers in this game. 
Cam Newton is going to get the majority of snaps at quarterback for them. I do think P.J. Walker is going to play a little bit. But this is the Ron Rivera revenge game, so to say, even though there's really no revenge to be had. Rivera's, I love Rivera, and everyone in Carolina should love him too. But give me Cam and the Panthers. The three of us, when Trent was here last week, were really hyping up the Panthers' chances. So we got we to gotta stay on brand. Yeah, that's a good keep point. Keep pounding. Yeah, keep pounding. Cam Newton, Super Cam, going to like turn this team around. That's what's going to happen today. Two, two touchdowns on the ground in this one for Cam. We'll All say right. that. I'm taking the Panthers to cover those points. I love it. Next game, we got the Niners traveling to play the Jaguars. Niners favored minus six and a half on the road. Even though six and a half is a lot for them to travel from the, the West Coast all the way to Jacksonville, the Jaguars have been improving under Urban Meyer, but I think the 49ers have taken some real strides. They beat the Rams last week. I know it's no tall task traveling from coast to coast and you know giving up six and a half points, but I say, I say the uh, Niners are going to cover. I think uh, Jags at home today. They'll make it an interesting game. You know, maybe they don't win this one, but I think they can they can lose by a t- uh, by a field goal at the very least. So the fighting Urban Myers. Yeah, give me <laughs> give me the Jaguars to cover those points today. Next game, we got the Bengals traveling to play the Raiders. Cincinnati favored minus one and a half on the road. Another game that's just kind of a toss. There's a lot of very evenly yeah. matched games. I think the Raiders though are starting to be in free fall mode. I mean, with all the adversity they've faced this year, I don't know how they haven't been in free fall mode already. Give me the Bengals in this one. Sure, I'll, I give me the Bengals as well. I think Burrow's been making some strides this year. I uh, agree. And Big they can fan. cover one and a half on the road. Why not? So, next game, we got the Cowboys. By the way, this this music I selected today. I love the compilation. It's 2000s era. Why NFL. have one NFL theme song when you can have, like, five? Yeah, I love is, it. I love cr- the compilation. This is funny. Next game, we got the Cowboys. Try to play the Chiefs. This is going to be a good game. Kansas City favored minus two and a half at home. Game of the week. But I have to stay on brand. I was very high on the Chiefs when we started doing these shows in August and September. But then slowly but surely, I started hopping off the Chiefs bandwagon. And you guys know very well how much I love you, Mike McCarthy. And I think Dallas is winning a playoff game this year. I can't stand the Cowboys. Shout out the 2015 playoffs against the Lions. But Mike McCarthy and the, the fighting Mike McCarthy's are going to win this football game. Give well, me the Cow. Give me the boys. I'm looking at this line. Why is it the home advantage? Why are the Cowboys or why are the Chiefs favored to win this game? I home? have no clue. That's kind of surprising. I'm going to take the Cowboys here. I love it. I think they should be favored. Hate the Cowboys, but love their team this year. I tell you, if the Cowboys were favored, I'd take the Chiefs to cover the line. I agree. I think the Cowboys win today, so give me the Cowboys. Next game, this is another game. we got the Cardinals trying to play the Seahawks. Seattle favored, minus three at home. Wow. This is, this is a tough game because the Cardinals are not necessarily on the up and up right now, but neither are the Seahawks. Strange, strange game. Give me the Seahawks. Another strange yeah. game where I think the, the inferior opponent will win, kind of like that Jets-Dolphins game. Hawks, go Hawks. Yeah, I think this is kind of a strange game all of a sudden. This this is a rematch, is it not? This happened earlier in the year. Kyler Murray's still banged up, too. Yeah, so I think I think give the 12th man. Is that still a, is that still an advantage? I don't it, even know. You still be there, so hyped so. up. I don't know. The Legion of Boom. Yeah, well, not anymore. Give me, give me the Seahawks at home. Uh, next game, we got the Steelers traveling to play the Chargers. Chargers favored minus six at home. This is a layup for me. Mason Rudolph stinks. Give me the Chargers to cover that six. Yeah, you had a pretty good look at the the Steelers last week. I'm going to oh, trust no. your judgment here. Give me the Chargers to cover these points. Last game, Sloan Dog. Last oh, game. Here we go. Lions. I don't want to. I don't. I don't, I don't I'm, I'm scared. Lions travel to play the Browns. Oh, 
Cleveland flavored. Wow, they're flavored. They're favored. Minus 13 at home. Oh, 13 points. 13 points is a lot. But Tim Boyle, the combination of Tim Boyle under center and Dan Campbell calling plays like runs on third and 11 is 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 simply not going to work. I thought that this was a game that the Lions could win if they had a, a healthy roster, but they are nowhere near full health. Give me the Browns to cover that those 13 points. Even though Baker Mayfield's banged up, I got a bad feeling about this one. 13 points, Sloan. 13 points. You know they cover that? I'm, so, I'm sorry. Tim Boyle. This game's kind of close, don't you think? It, it's the Battle of Lake Erie. Give me, the, give me the Lions to cover at least. I like it. I, I think you can do that. Hey, right? good teams win, great teams cover. I, so I just want to put that out there. So if the Lions well, do cover those 13 points, that means that means they're a great team. Simply put it, we've had a fantastic show, though, on a, on a, a jam-packed Sunday morning. Thank you to Cam McLaren, Michael Markoch, and Manit Patel for joining us on air this morning. Thank you, Henry, as always. We've all we, it's been a, it's been a heck of a ride. It's been a jam-packed football show. It's going to be a fantastic Thanksgiving week. No show next week due to the Thanksgiving holiday, but we will be back in action after that for some Christmas episodes of the Green and White Report. Tell a friend about the show, by the way, and if you missed any of it, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Impact89FM.org, or wherever you find your podcasts. Watch some football. Watch some college basketball. Eat some delicious food, and we'll see you next time when we start celebrating Christmas for real here on the Green and White Report on WDBM East Lansing. You have been listening to the Green and White Report on WDBM. For all your sports news and notes, go to impact89fm.org slash sports.